boogeyman is real, and you found him. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I'm your number one fan. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> I am Dracula. We have such sights to show you, boy. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I am the eater of wolves and of children. What's in the fucking box? They're coming to get you, Barbara. One by one, we will take you. Never get out of bed again! You gotta be fucking kidding rubs the lotion on its skin or else gets the hose again. Welcome to prime time, bitch! <laughs> good evening, horror fans. Welcome, everyone. It's good to see you all. It is Wednesday, a few minutes past 7 p.m. Central Time. It means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror Podcast, the only podcast that won't be dead by dawn. And if you Dear horror fanatics are listening to us at the top of the week. Remember, we do this live right here on YouTube every single Wednesday. So we hope to see you in the live chat with the rest of our amazing fans. This week, we are covering select horror films released November 19th through November 25th. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL. And we got the OG crew here tonight, Eugene and Alex. What? How the hell did that happen? <laughs> What's up, everybody? <laughs> Hey, Gene, how you doing? Oh, man, it's been forever. Wow. <laughs> oh, what's happening? What's up, hey, y'all? Hey, Gene, how's it going? How you doing? Yeah. I feel like I only, I only get to see on like every other weekend. It's like a custody situation. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're back and forth. I'm sorry, Eugene. Your dad's not available this weekend. You're gonna have to stay with me. <laughs> Someone you out there's go to the Walmart take... parking lot and get passed between the parents. <laughs> Someone out there's gonna take that a little too personally. <laughs> like that. I remember those days. <laughs> oh, but it is fantastic. It's fantastic. To, uh, it's always a fun show when we have uh, the OG crew here with uh, Eugene and uh, and Alex. You, dude, I know you are so busy with the family, and of course, it's coming into the into the holidays, so I know it's it's chaotic. But uh, it's awesome that you know I love these shows when it's when it's the three of us. You know, listen, I'll tell you what, man. Um, without going into too much detail, we got word yesterday at work that. Something was going down. Uh, in my line of business, the pandemic was good for business, bad for people. Um, so they hired a lot of people. And now that the pandemic has kind of ended and wound down, um, there wasn't a need for all those people. So something was happening. And being a you know corporate environment, my director was like, hey, I think you know some of y'all should just kind of go home and kind of hang out there for the rest of the week just in case somebody goes fucking postal. So um like, uh, are we okay but it, my department is we're few and mighty so um i kind of had a feeling we were okay but uh, so so i get to work from home the rest of the week which is nice but uh, also terrifying when they're like hey by the way <laughs> yeah so we're gonna, it was, we're gonna uh, lay off a lot of people for yeah. safety and that's i work uh, i work in the corporate headquarters so it's it's you know they're all the the c-suite is all there so it's kind of like well i'm gonna go kind of hang out at home for a bit 
uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to say the least today. But uh, so I see you 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 you're doing the show you're doing the show this week, so you kind of take your mind off of all that shit <laughs> and, and break away. It will. And okay, so long story short, um, traffic has been horrendous coming from Dallas to the Fort Worth side, and uh, I haven't even been getting home by seven o'clock most nights. So. I told you last week that I'd be able to do the show. I was like, all right, I'll be able to leave a little early. I'll just rush home. I'll take back way, take the toll roads, whatever, just get there. And then yesterday, you know, they're like, Hey, stay home. I woke up this morning. I was like, Oh yeah, I don't even need to worry about the drive. So <laughs> setting ready to go. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, we were prepping, prepping for uh, the holidays and family and all that fun stuff. So. Oh yeah. It's going to get busy out there as uh, as one of our, One of the people uh, in the live chat has mentioned that we are nearing the Krampus season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I always look forward to the holidays, you know, post, because post Halloween is always kind of like, ah, Halloween's past, but you know, then we got Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And then for those who celebrate it. And then of course, uh, beyond that, then it's the, then it's the slow March to the next Halloween because none of the other holidays really matter at all. So it's all, it's always about Halloween. So. That's very true. <laughs> Absolutely, any that actually matter, and I'm like, no, they, no. They, they just don't. Yeah, I just, yeah. Most of them just, are just, just consumer whatever. holidays, and you got to deal with family. And, it's yeah. like Halloween, <laughs> and then like Thanksgiving, close second. You know, you you have to balance you the fact that you know, like tons of great food, and you know, sometimes your family. So you kind of that's a that's a wobbly scale, and then you've got Christmas, which oftentimes because here in America it is more insane than it is like you know to have fun. So it's like, so kind of like one, two, three, it's like, you know, like gold, silver, really low bronze, and then the slow march all the way to, and then you get drunk, you know, on New Year's, and then the slow march to Halloween again, because those other ones, yeah, just, yeah. See, that's, see, that's, I have a different tier system, because you have Halloween, obviously, clear at the top. Yeah. And Thanksgiving's like, uh, <laughs> Christmas is like, uh. <laughs> but then you go back to New Year's, and you're like, okay, New Year's is fun again, because you go, you get to hang out with your friends, you get party, you get to do all the other kinds of stuff, and then you have, like, the rest of the holidays, so forth and so forth. <laughs> yeah yeah you just kind of like yeah that's yeah. And as each one goes by you that's just a marker that's a mile marker for how close how much closer you are to the next halloween that's what it is i'll tell you what man the rest of the holidays just hit different now that we're like adults like i've got kids, i know so, right you know, it's it's just kind of it's just it hits different the only one that's still the same is halloween you get to watch the kids go out there's it's just it's it, it no stress fun go out have a great time go hit the doors i got to watch my two-year-old trick-or-treat she watched her sister's trick or treat, so she kind of got nervous and followed the the girls up, and she was kind of like, "Okay." She saw him knock on the door. They all said trick or treat. She got scared. She's like, "Okay, trick or treat." Puts her bag out. The lady puts candy in the bag. She turns around and goes, "I got candy," and then we're like, "Yeah, go to the next one." She's like, "Again." All night. It was great. It's like the, the was... very first time, the very first time, uh, because uh, I've, I've had the opportunity. I, yeah, obviously, I, I don't, I, we don't have kids here, but I've had the opportunity of being an adult and being one of kind of like the chaperones, making yeah. sure that kids are getting, seeing kids that very first time when they put it together, it's like, oh, okay, so I'm doing this. And then I we knock on the door and we say this and then and then it, go, it goes in there and that's mine. And then you see those wheels click and it, there's those like, gears just on. turn and you're like, and you can see them light up. 
next house, next house. He's like, yes. yes. <laughs> They're like, this is legal? Like, this is... <laughs> this is something we do, like, every year? It's like, yes, Hold it on. is. <laughs> you told me I can't have candy every single night. Now you're telling me to go get as much as I possibly can? Like, yeah, kid. Yeah, and then we then we then we point, we point out the house that you have to avoid because they give away nothing but apples and chick tracks. So, you know, oh, the, these are the houses you want to go to. Shit. <laughs> Man, this is the first year in our new neighborhood, so we were kind of worried. We didn't know what it was going to be like, and uh, it, it pleasantly surprised with how many people participated. But also, just everybody, I was out there having a fantastic time. There was no, there was nobody was not having a great time on the block. So it was really nice to see. Because we've been in neighborhoods in the last few years that are just they're just lame. All the houses are dark, or it's a bunch of old crabby people, and we're like, "Well, come on, like, like at least just one house." But no, this one everybody was everybody did it big. We had all the big twelve foot skeletons and all the crazy. There was one lady in her driveway with a bottle of lighter fluid, and anytime somebody would walk up to the house, she would spray lighter fluid on the fire. And she was a witch, so she started cackling and running around the fire. And nice. uh, icing the children. It was great. It was well, just the only time you can actually do that. But yeah, she was really into it, and that was awesome. That's what I like. The, I like the house you drive by and you say they definitely went to Home Depot. <laughs> they definitely went to Home Depot. Oh, they went to Spirit Halloween, but they went to Home Depot. So. <laughs> All those, right, uh, those seven to twelve foot fucking right. awesome. <laughs> okay, so let's get up that Patreon banner. There's those amazing folks, all their names down there that help us to make this show possible. Thank you all very, very much. We do appreciate that. And uh, let's see who we have in the live chat tonight before we get started on tonight's selections, which I think, personally, I, I enjoyed these. So, But we're going to dive into them. So I see that look in Eugene's eye. Where he's kind of like, hmm. I see that. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Suspect. I have, I have good good mouth to say. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Hey. Uh, let's see who we got here. Raven Darkstar was here first. Says first. Hey, hi, hello, all. Good to see you, Raven. Thanks so much for being here. Casey Cooper is here. Says well met. Nana Remo is half over, and I have twenty seven thousand words so far. Well done, Casey. <clears throat> Keep it up, all the way to the end. I cannot wait uh, to hear about what you read, uh, what you wrote. So congratulations, Casey. Keep going. Um, let me see who else we got here. Travis Brown says, evening, y'all. Finally watched When Evil Lurks last Friday after falling asleep on the Discord stream. For a film about demonic possession, it takes an interesting turn. You are correct, uh, Travis. When Evil Lurks, I showed that one. And oftentimes when we show movies, when we do like a like we do a movie night over in the Discord, people you know, are generally chattering. Through, they don't talk, but they use the chat uh, room to kind of like, you know, talk amongst themselves and, you know, talk about the movie and what, what might be happening or like this. I showed When Evil Lurks, and it's an Argentinian horror film, and everyone was fucking dead silent. That movie is so fucking intense. Oh, I thought you like, meant because I fell asleep. Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm just kidding. Like, 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 <laughs> like, I mean, Travis did, unfortunately, but, uh, but I'm glad he did finally get to see it. But that movie is fucking hardcore. Like, no joke. And it's from the director, um, Damien Rugas, and I cannot wait to show his previous film, Terrified, which was uh, uh, kind of in the same vein. I want to show that one, but it's a little bit slightly lower budget because When Evil Lurks has extremely uh, is an extremely good budget, really well done. Some really fantastic shots in there and just a, just brutally fucking gory and nasty and he pulls no punches. So, and plus it's a great story. You know, you get like, you know, Hellraiser style violence and gore with some really, with some like hereditary style, you know, compelling narrative, which is really fucking good. So I'm glad that we found that one. Um, and I'm glad that you got to see it, Travis. 
Who else do we have here in the chat? Casey Cooper says, I saw Johnny O stop in for a bit on, on MC Toon's channel last night. Maybe he's finally getting some free time. Possibly. I haven't heard anything, but it would be really cool if he does stop by. I know he's super, super busy Johnny. with stuff going on. So hopefully one day uh, he'll be able to make his way back to the show. I know he's just, he's got a, you know, personal life always kind of comes first. You got to handle that stuff. So let me see. That's true, Casey Cooper. I'm generally pretty punctual when I fly solo, but you know. I got, I got to make allowances for it. <laughs> Gosh of Heckfire, good to see you. It says, good evening, my loves. Good to see you, Gosh of Heckfire. Best, one of the best names on the internet. Thanks so much for being here tonight. As well as Sir Chasms is good evening for bad horror. It is a good evening for bad horror. All evenings are good for bad horror. But we have some that good horror true. tonight. I promise you. Good horror tonight. I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't let you down. Would I lie? Yes, of course I would. But I'm so polished. <laughs> 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 left hand Jedi, greetings and felicitations. Good to see you, left hand Jedi. Thanks so much for being here. Wrote it no less name as well. Gab Gab to you. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. All right. Casey Cooper, thank you so much, who has been a member of the Army of the Dead for four months. Thank you so much, Casey. And if you too would like to be a member of the Army of the Dead and get access to all the emojis and the channel badge that we made for you, and we're adding more as we get more members, all it is like 99 cents a month, like 99 cents per month, and you get uh, the badge and all the cool uh, horror icon emojis that we made. So I hope you dig it, but you can support the channel right here. The link is right there on your YouTube. And we appreciate all you channel members out there. Thank you very, very much. And I see we got Cindy Sue is here. Good to see you, Cindy Sue. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Another uh, member of the Army of the Dead. We appreciate it. Dr. Nimrod is in the house. Good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for hanging out, as well as Elizabeth S. Good to see you, Elizabeth. Always fun to have you in the chat. Rodanilla's name says, I found us a new fan, the Skeletalk YouTube channel. Hopefully she'll be here tonight. Ah, can't wait. We love Ooh. seeing new faces in the chat. Absolutely. Travis Brown says, Jail needs a little help with his friends. Jail gets high with his friends. Do you see everybody? Thank you, Travis. I like that. <laughs> I get by. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no Johnny tonight. Uh, gosh, back fire. No Johnny tonight. Genova28, good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for being here. And I see as well. Yes, yes, Rodanilla's name. Irma Gerd, three peoples. Yes, three people on the show. <laughs> They're like, thank God. Even if it is Alex, she's. <laughs> <laughs> and and good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for being here tonight. As Doctor Doctor Nimrod says, "Yay, it's Santa JL Claus." That's right. It is. <laughs> I I am. That's you know. That's what I do. Um. Let me see. <clears throat> Uh, I saw them. Uh, Dr. Nimrod, family's doing good. Thank you so much for asking. I do appreciate that. Thank you. Operation Free World's here. It says, hello, everyone. We are nearing Krampus season. We are nearing Krampus season. Cannot mm -hmm. wait for it. Krampus knocked is always so good. Travis Brown says, is anyone wearing the Pilgrim mask for the Thanksgiving film this weekend? If I could find one, I probably would wear it. I would because I'm, I can't wait for Thanksgiving to, uh, for uh, Eli Roth's new one to come out. But the murderous Pilgrim. Oh, yeah. I've, I've yeah. seen the trailers for it. It looks interesting. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. And I see, I think I may have got everybody. Nope, Jeremy Duncan's here. Good to see you, Jeremy. He says, prepare for the humans, the other Thanksgiving. The, prepare for the humans, the other Thanksgiving white meats. Absolutely, Jeremy. Definitely. Thanks so much for being here, bud. And I see, yeah, Jeremy Duncan. Halloween is the only holiday that matters. Absolutely. It is. Sir Cabs has got to bust my Quaker buckle hat out of storage for the movie, too. Oh, fuck yeah. Hell yes. Joshua Lee is here. Good to see you, Joshua Lee. Thanks so much for being here tonight, as well as Angel Rivera. Good to see you, Angel. Says, what up, what up, horror fiends? Always good to see you, Angel. And I think I got everybody. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling down to the bottom. Did I miss anybody? I don't think I missed anyone. Man, the, the chat's moving fast. Tony Regime is here. Good to see you, Tony. 
says hello with the obligatory ghost. Thank you so much, bud. We do appreciate it. Love this. That's such a good idea with the pilgrim hat. I wish I would have thought of that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and thank you. Raven Darkstar says, of unknown origin is not bad horror. Damn straight. Damn straight. It is not. I can't wait for us to dive into it. Fucking uh, fucking, uh, Peter uh, Peter Weller. Fucking love Peter Well. He's not just Robocop to me, you know, n- number of things. But Cindy Sue says, I'm terribly sick. My sinuses feel like an alien is going to come bursting through, but I'll be listening. We do appreciate you listening through the pain, Cindy. We really, really do. Allergies, and especially. Get, and get this- better soon. Yes. You must be Al- in the South. Allergies at this time of the year are a bitch. Allergies so that's terrible. that seasonal change. Did that seasonal change fuck with any of y'all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So is when it went from warm to cold, you know, in one fucking day, it went like 50 degree shift. I'm still recovering from that. I'm still sick from that. You got strep in the house, the sinuses. Uh, it's just, yeah, just that. That's the miserable. one thing that that's that the, the one thing I do. I love Halloween and I love the seasonal change, but the one thing I don't look forward to is what it fucking does to me with, uh, with, you know, just it, that seasonal change. It kicks me in there. If it hits me, it hits me hard. Usually I, I can kind of dodge it, but this year it, it kind of was the sinuses, but it really just hit my voice. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, sounded like I was 30 years older than I am. So just a good preview of what's the, what my wife has to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> She's committed now. She is committed. She is like, ah, oh, I, I love you despite that. So anyway, good to see you. Brian Powell is here as well. Some werewolf as well. Good to see you both. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And I think I got oh uh, it's not allergies. I live in New England. I'm hoping it's not the flu. Oh, I hope it's not oh, the flu either. Yeah. Definitely hope you feel better uh, very very soon. Mm-hmm. And, oh, here's a question. I, I yo damn it. I, I wonder if this is a missed opportunity. The teaser for Terrifier three. Dropped. Oh my god. Yeah. Have you all seen it? So I thought I it was have, a joke at first. I have not seen the teaser, but I have heard word on Terrifier three. Uh, so apparently the first two are pretty much crowdfunded and kind of backed pure independent. Like the first one, I think it's shot made like a hundred grand or something. The second was maybe like 250 grand, um, like on that. And obviously the fact that it's a staple franchise. So they had a Hollywood studio backing the third one. And apparently the creator wrote a scene in the first five minutes that is so extreme the studio backed out <laughs> damien leone yeah okay the- i'd heard that same story i had heard that same story but then i also heard from uh, that day okay so I, I i saw that on twitter or x whatever you want to call it yeah i saw that on social media and damien leone supposedly responded to that and said that that wasn't exactly what happened I figured that. it was a twist because I read a couple articles talking about it. I, there, I'm sure there's always some kind of they spin it a certain way, but I'm I'm cu- right. curious to see what he said about it. So if I remember, because um, someone was saying, because uh, I follow Damien on, um, get a full sentence out there, bud. I follow. Sorry, I was I was. I'm, 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 <laughs> It's hard to type and type and talk at the same time because then I then I say something and I mess up the what I'm typing. But uh, I follow Damien Law and says, let's see. Okay, so oh yeah, so he meant oh so he was talking about you know the people of P O the people of fainting and puking during uh, screenings. Terrifier two was a marketing ploy. I swear on the success of the film, it is not. These reports are 100 percent legit. <laughs> um, let me see. So <clears throat> okay, and then 
yeah, so it's going to be out October 25th, 2024. I'm super, super excited about it. But there was something that he mentioned about... Okay, so... <clears throat> As mu- okay, so as much as I love the okay, so Hollywood studios reject ultra-violent Terrifier sequel over sadistic opening scene after the last film caused filmgoers to vomit in theaters. <clears throat> that was from the Daily Mail. Then Damien responded, as much as I love these bold, controversial headlines, this is a bit misleading. The truth is, Hollywood studios require an R rating, and I knew that based on my script and some early discussions, I would never get to film certain scenes in Terrifier 3 the way that I envisioned them. So likely what it is, is uh, because certain scenes in it would likely get an NC-17. And so whereas the studio would require an R, and if he wants to keep the script a certain way, and they're going to go with an R, but they won't produce an NC-17, then that's the reason they would they would back out. So I could see why they would, uh, why he wants to maintain the artistic integrity to tell, to tell the, the, you know, just do the movie that he wants to do. Um, what do you think? Oh, I mean, honestly, that completely makes sense because what a lot of people don't realize is that the ratings on film is argued ahead of time because they they want to sit there and talk about, look, what's the ROI and, okay, the ROI for our films, P13 films, so forth and so forth. And the thing is, is NC-17 films bomb. They just totally no, they don't. Totally... They're always really, really good, and you don't watch it and know exactly <laughs> what's going to happen every fucking time. Stop it. <laughs> I, I mean, there's just we need to look at like NC-17 films. Can you name a successful NC-17 film? Are there some good ones out there? Sure, but I'm talking about like a theatrical successful film that's NC-17. I probably I I off the top of my head no I probably have to Google to see if one actually exists. So it, exactly, and despite having an already established IP, and people know at this point, you know what you're getting into. Uh, you either like that kind of content or you don't. And if you like it, you're obviously going to go see it. So technically, the rating doesn't matter, but you always have a good majority of the people who are on the fence. Mm-hmm. And and NC seventeen could push people away, so I can see them that hurting the studio's return going with that rating because obviously he's going to push it. Terrifier has to go more and more extreme every single time. That's the only way the series is going to. I don't know how the fuck he's going to top Terrifier two. I really don't. I'm tr- I'm trying to fathom how he could beat the bedroom scene. In that film, I'm tr- I'm trying to imagine that, and th- it's not it's I, not just the bedroom scene, already... but the dining room scene. I'm kind of like, how the fuck did he outdo that? <laughs> I'm right off the bat. The thing I'm thinking of right now is like someone's going to get shit or piss on, like that, like that. I'm like, we're at he that already point now. he already plays with shit. It was that it's, was established yeah. in the first movie. But we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna down. get like we're gonna get two girls, one cop. That's what we're gonna get. <laughs> I don't know where he's gonna go with it, but the mind. Okay, and, and this is what's hilarious. Damien Leone comes along, and people used to think that Tom Six, who did who directed the Human Centipede trilogy, you you lay it out now. Human Centipede seems tame to the shit that Art the Clown does. So I like that Damien Leone has pushed that envelope beyond that. Now everybody's like Human Centipede, what? 
you know, it's like people with their people with, you know, it's mouth to ass. You know, I, I can write that off because we don't even really see the graphic nature of it. No, in Terrifier 2, he, he unloads a pump shotgun in someone's face and then uses her corpse to smash, you know, food into it. So that, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's so fucking brutal. So I like what, uh, tra- what Travis Brown said. And he said that Terrifier, uh, Terrifier 3 should go back to indie, should go, should be, should release unrated and go back to indie just like the first Terrifier. But I, I don't, I, I don't think that would serve Damien because the money that he's getting to do this um, allows him to do more and more and more and more. So I'm liking to, to get to, I think that would be a step in the wrong direction in my personal opinion. Yeah. Because the thing is, is you, the more money, the better things you can do and the more things that you can do, regardless, even if some major studio is like, doesn't work with it. If you get some minor studio, it's easier to make a film for 500,000. It is for a hundred thousand. It's, right. it's just that way you can shoot more days. You can get better crew. You can get better gear locations. Um, you can get better talent. I'm not saying you're going to have like some big a lister in your film, but you can, you can get better talent. Um, it's it's just it's just the way it is, and he has created a mar- he has created a model, and maybe the most recent horror icon. Whether you're a fan of Terrifier or not, if you're a fan of the horror genre, you know who Art the Clown is. That is a horror icon, right? Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Sir Chasm, who has gifted five memberships to the Army of the Dead. Thank you so much, Sir Chasm. We do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Very very thank generous you. of you. Absolutely. And I see. Let me see. Uh, I want to make sure I mention it. So Rodan LSM says, you would think an NC-17 would be a selling point. So terrifying, it went beyond R. You'd think it would work both ways. But man, politics and the you know the, the, the bean counters, those are some of your, your worst enemies when you're doing major, when you're doing major motion pictures. Like big budget films, indie, we, we, indie, we can run our asses off and do whatever the fuck we want. We really can't. Because it's all generally private investors people that we know, people who just, you know, people who want to make a name for themselves for having funded a film. But when you've got studio involvement with the studio, come shareholders, with shareholders comes stock price, stock points, and they've got to watch every single penny that goes through. And if something, you know, comes along that could ding that ROI and maybe you know, be a kind of a black mark, is like, you put that shit, like, that almost happened with Universal. Universal was fucking terrified of putting out House of a Thousand Corpses because when, when you, because, they, they brought on Zombie to do House of a Thousand. And then he shot the movie and he delivered the rough cut. And he was like, here's the rough cut. This is the movie we're going to be putting out. Universal Studio executives walked out of that screening. Like, what the fuck have you done? Like, they had no concept of what Zombie was going to do with that movie. But still, he managed to finagle that. And But Universal was terrified that House of a Thousand was going to be like a huge hit. Or like 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 a huge like a huge like a huge a huge bomb because the, the a stigma, huge bomb, yeah. the stigma behind NC seventeen there are so few NC seventeen films that come out that make it to theaters. Um, whereas opposed to you'll have unrated films they're just not registered with the MPAA. But when you have that stigma of NC seventeen, it's just it's a killer. And you think as someone comments, you think like. That would be a selling point for movies. Movies that's so extreme that it's more extreme than R, but it's the actual opposite. Because when you hear like NC-17, people feel like nasty and disgusted 
<laughs> buy it and to the point where you only get that niche audience that will go see it and unfortunately that niche audience that's going to go see it is not enough to turn a profit right not for a long time at least not not for yeah. a very long time so you'll have like the r rating and then maybe when it goes on streaming you'll have the unrated version because it's weird nc17 is a killer but you remember in DVDs deals and blu-rays of the 2000s you always had unrated cuts which was like a selling point oh you Human Centipede are unrated, and I, which is honestly one of the most ridiculous things ever at the time. But Hills, Hills Have Eyes. I remember the Hills Have Eyes unrated came out. And I was like, ooh, an unrated version. And there was like fucking five additional minutes. And I'm like, really? Oh, it's <laughs> really. It's I it's saw this stupid. bitch in theaters. It was like, it's like, it's like, okay, you extended a scene. It's like, oh, oh, we, 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 the camera lingered on the burning dad for like three minutes longer. Like, it, it, it there's like an additional cut back and forth. And I was like, that's what that was the difference really oh, it, like, it, it, oh it's stupid there's there's a movie that came out it's a fantastic comedy called sex drive like an 09 something like that 09 God, that movie it's was like, awesome yeah that movie it's funny it's hands down an underrated comedy and they're like they had their theatrical release and, and i don't think it did too well in theaters though and so then the studio was like well you have to do an unrated version and the directors were like no, we're happy with what we got. We got ourselves a good film. Like, no, you have to be unrated. So the, the, the directors were like, you know what? Fine. You want unrated? We're going to go unrated. <laughs> and they completely, like, there's a scene where Clark Duke is running through the cornfield away from this trailer home. And he's, like, naked, right? And it's just a funny moment. The original kind of shows his butt a little bit, but he just runs off. You see Clark Duke running, right? This nerdy, like, white kid with glasses all of a sudden cuts to this giant black penis going through a cornfield <laughs> for, like, two minutes. Just straight, just no, just nowhere. No, it's just there. And the director's like, you want your unrated? There's your unrated. That's hilarious. That's amazing. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, Surf has joined us. Good to see you, Surf. Thanks so much for being here. Travis Brown says, I have to say this. Fuck politics. Absolutely. Absolutely, I agree with that. But, yeah. Any day of the week, absolutely. Any yep. day of the week. And Sarcasm says, tonight's tangent brought to you by the Terrifier franchise. Absolutely, and apparently, Jeremy Duncan says, Terrifier 4 has already been confirmed and no Art the Clown. Interesting. Maybe it's quite possible because David Howard Thornton might be kind of like burnt out after like three straight movies of sheer epic insanity. If the, if the increase in mind-numbing brutality from one to two is maintained from two to three. I can imagine David Howard Thornton probably needs a fucking break because like, I wonder what that does to his mental psyche. I try to get in the headspace because obviously he's a fantastic art clown. And, but I know a lot of, uh, a lot of people who play villains like to get into that headspace can kind of mess you up and then you're on set so you're dealing with the blood in your hands and gore and yes it's all fake and everything but you're still committing all these acts that if i can understand getting to you after a while unless that's just you know he's like yes i get to be who i want to be on screen all the time <laughs> finally <laughs> it's like i can you mean i can be myself yay it's fake yay. he's like that's okay 
that's okay. <laughs> oh my god, you play that character so well. Yeah. 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 Character. Play. Play. Yeah, right. Yeah. Let the intrusive docs win. <laughs> All right. Well, definitely let us know down in the comments below or weekendhorror@gmail.com if you are looking forward to Terrifier Three, which will be out next year. It is Christmas themed instead of Halloween themed this year, so I'm very curious about that. And check out the uh, teaser trailer. It's currently available on YouTube. Just look up Terrifier Three teaser, and it is actually quite, quite, it's quite funny. So I'm looking forward to that that coming out. Big fan of Damian Leone, so definitely looking forward to that one hitting. Now, before we dive into tonight's selections, I know we we jammered on for quite a little bit there. But there's a couple of things that there's two things I wanted to cover first. So November 14th was yesterday because we're recording this on the 15th. It'll it'll go live on the podcast sites here in a few days on Sunday on the following Sunday. But November 14th, Onyx the Fortuitous came out. I know that everybody in the live chat, I know that y'all are probably like, why do you keep harping on this movie? Why do you keep bringing it up? Because I showed the trailer, I talked about it last week, and I'm gonna and and it just released uh, yesterday, and I've already watched it three times. So, um, I, I watch it once and then I watch it again while multitasking. I work on other things while that's happening. So, but I've, I've seen it three times and, oh, thank you so much. Triggered Limey is in the house. Good to see you, Triggered Limey. Thank you, and thank you so you much. For five pound super chats. It's good evening, you beautiful bastards. Thank you so much, Triggered. We good do appreciate that. Good evening to yourself. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Very generous. Oh, and Ivy Gentry's here as well. Good to see you, Ivy. Thanks so much for hanging out. We have we haven't even got started yet because we're just running our mouths right now. So you're <laughs> talking we, shit. We, so we rarely get all three. All you, know, it's been a minute since we've had three people on the show. So it's always fun to uh, to get everybody's opinions. Now I have watched Onyx Fortuitous enough times for all of us, but the question is, have y'all had a chance to see it yet? I have not. I just started Fall of the House of Usher to give you an idea how far behind I am, <laughs> which I really enjoyed the first episode, by the way. It's excellent, just, is it not? Yeah. I just started The Walking Dead season four. I'm way farther than <laughs> God damn. Fuck, how many seasons are these? Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> damn. I just started Dexter season two. Oh, no. Uh, well, no, I have not to yet. Stay. I have to say, you haven't seen it yet. I hope some people out there, um, out there in the live chat, have seen it. Um, but dang it, now, now we can't. I can't talk about it extensively. But I will say this: if you get the opportunity, yesterday you couldn't talk about it extensively. Period. It's currently on Screenbox, and I will simply say this: definitely go and see it. Absolutely go and see it. the The critics, uh, the critics that are correct. the The movie is fucking fantastic, <clears throat> and I love. One thing I really loved is Andrew Bowser's writing is top-notch. Not to mention his mastery of, his, of the character he created of Onyx the Fortuitous. His mastery of that character is, is unparalleled. He knows that character better than anybody else. And uh, his writing is just on point. His delivery is so nuanced and so um, so natural that you just can't help but but be kind of like buy into this character not to mention the performances of everybody else olivia taylor dudley is fantastic rivka ray as well jeffrey combs is in there as well as bartok the great who is magnificent with the makeup effects and all the shit they do with him uh, barbara crampton barbara crampton in mom jeans is not something i knew i needed but apparently <laughs> i did i did not know that i did not know that barbara crampton in mom in, in mom jeans was something i needed but now I have that right, in my moving life. Moving that to the top of the list. All right. Absolutely. So it's it's an absolutely it's a wonderfully fun movie and very very funny with some serious laugh out loud moments in it and shockingly 
some some, some really poignant moments in it. So it's good. It runs the whole. It's not like nonstop comedy throughout. It it it, go, it goes into some drama territory. You know, like it, it explores things that you wouldn't expect. Has a level of depth and nuance that from you know the YouTube shorts that you've seen uh, Andrew Bowser do over on his channel uh, Bowser Films. You wouldn't expect that, but I really thoroughly enough to watch it three times just to make sure I didn't miss anything, make sure I caught everything. Not to mention fucking 80s style puppets and gore and fucking they re I'm not going to it's in the trailer. They recreate the I would do anything for love music video, but it's not what you, it's not how you think. <laughs> so I don't want to spoil it, but it is fucking amazing. dude. It is hilarious. So definitely, if you get an opportunity, to go see Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. It is on Screenbox right now if you have that uh, subscription. So currently available via Amazon Prime. If that is one of your 347 subscriptions. Yeah, I know, right? Yes, I, recently had to, I recently had to do some TVA pruning on my shit because I yep. had way too many, way too many alt- you know, branching realities. I was like, I can't deal with all this shit. No, this is because <laughs> they do. They each have their own vibe. So it's like you can't be in Netflix territory watching two shows there and then just like kind of swing over to Hulu. It's totally. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Oh, and thank you very much, Triggered Limey, for another five pound super chat. Five yes, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I hate time zones, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just messes with people so so much. Uh, time has been in Europe, and you're trying to calculate. I wonder what time it is in the United States, huh? It's three o'clock in the morning. Keep blah blah blah. No, complicated. Should be should be universal across the board. So I agree. <laughs> Thank you, Trigger. Thank How you, Trigger. How would that Lamy. even work? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Trigger Lamy, for the five pound super chat. We do appreciate it, and I'm so glad that you're here to catch us live as well. You rock, dude. Thank you very much. Very, very generous. Um, dude, it's fucking hard enough to coordinate with people in LA. Okay. And they're just two hours behind. So it's hard enough to coordinate with them, much less, you know, trying to coordinate overseas. That could, that's a pain in the ass. Cause I know where, where triggered is. I know he's, a, I think he's six hours ahead of us. So. Damn, you are up late. Yeah, <laughs> it's really weird <laughs> when you like another one. Country. Thank you yes. so much, Slimy, for another five pound super chat. Says you are very welcome. You, thank, thank you, thank you. You rock, dude. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, very, very generous of you. Uh, let me see. Doctor Nimrod says we can horror. Everybody should just live in the UTC. So much easier. Yeah, 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 yeah. That probably would solve a lot of problems. Absolutely would. <laughs> and uh, the next thing, so definitely um, in the comments, if you have seen. Onyx of Fortunus and the Talisman of Souls. Be sure to let us know down in the comments what you thought. If you haven't seen it, don't worry. I have something coming up at the end of the show. But I'll, I'll, I'll mention that later. So, but definitely let us know if you have seen it, what your, what your thoughts about the movie were down in the comments. I definitely want to hear what people think because I want to see if they love it as much as I do. And before we dive into our movies tonight, I have one trailer I want to show everybody. So, I found this trailer. It is new from Blumhouse. Um, I'm a big fan of Blumhouse and... You know, when they hit, they really, really hit. This one looks interesting. And so I wanted to show you. I didn't know if you guys had seen it yet. This doesn't this isn't slated. It doesn't have a release date. It's slated for 2024. But you'll see some names attached to it. So I give you the trailer for Blumhouse's newest coming out in 2024, Night Swim. Working on my night moves. Cool. Well, not to be afraid of the ocean. Now I got to be afraid of swimming pools, too. <laughs> thought you were safe in a pool i love that i will say this i'd see it i don't know enough about it yet but i did love that shot when she goes like he was like she's like, oh you're dead she goes underwater looks down and it is just black 
you know, after because she she wasn't in that deep and should have been able. It was just like nothingness. I'm like, okay, that's that's not good. It's just like time to time to get out of the pool. That's when you leave the pool. (laughs) That's time to go. Your fingers are pruny. It's time to get out. So (laughs) I did. I liked the POV in the pool shot. That's not something you see very often. I was going to say the same thing. The first person view is cool. Yeah, that's interesting. You don't see that a lot. Definitely looking forward to that one. Of course, it's Blumhouse, so you never know. It may hit, it may not, but the trailer looked interesting, so I wanted to show everybody. Um, it looks like it's going to be a lot. Of, it, it could be a lot of fun, so I'm really, really curious. But definitely, if you're looking forward to the movie Night Swim coming out based upon the trailer that we just watched, let us know down in the comments. Love to hear what people think. So, and what do you say? All, uh, honestly, wait, well, one thing, I will admit, it doesn't give that much away of the movie, which I it appreciate. It doesn't, Yeah. So yeah. I'm, yeah, because I finally a trailer that didn't give away, you know, all the hot shit in the uh, in the fucking movie. So, oh, let me see. Um, oh, left-handed Jedi says reminds me of a scene from The Legacy. Interesting, very interesting. Definitely, uh, definitely, I'm definitely curious about it. De- definitely curious. De- de- definitely curious. Yeah, I was yeah. curious. Yes. So, but we have some movies to talk about. I know Eugene wants to dive into them as well as uh, Alex. So, Eugene. Let's dive in. What do we have up first? All right. Oh, oh, and by the way, oh, yeah, by the way, we don't have a trailer for this first movie. The trailer doesn't exist. I tried to find one, but it doesn't exist. But the full movie is available on YouTube. So I just linked the whole fucking full movie into the Discord so people go and check it out. But there is no trailer for this. So unfortunately, we, yeah, we'll just dive right in. <laughs> All right. So first up, we have... Tale of a Vampire, released November 20th, 1992, right? It's directed by Shamiko Sato and starring Julian Sands, Keith Cranham, Suzanne Hamilton, Keith Keaton, Mark Kemper, and Marion Diamond. And basically you have a vampire who lost his love a long time ago and starts working in the library. And suddenly he meets a girl that resembles his lost love. And it's almost kind of like a, it is kind of like this more Gothic kind of romance feel. Um, Very, very, I picked up at the very least, and I want to, I'm curious to see if y'all picked up on this too. It's almost like a homage to the seventies in terms of its cinematography style. Like, if you really think about, like, the way it was lit and the score behind it, I started picturing, like, 70s, kind of, almost like, it's almost like a chosen aesthetic versus, like, a, because it's not, like, a low-budget film, but it has this, that's the aesthetic I kind of picked up from, which was an interesting take for it. I, I I can see it now that you're meant. Yeah, now that you're bringing that up, yeah, I can definitely see that. My eyes were more attracted to the very, very gothic, um, almost you know the, the almost gothic Victorian uh, stylization of the entire film. Like even in the modern age, obviously this is a movie that transpires. Uh, it has both a uh, a flashback to a previous century and then to a you know previous centuries before. And then, of course, modern time. So it's moving back and forth between the two. Uh, the film itself is is really kind of like a continuation. Uh, There's one thing I can say is that the film itself, like the story, the narrative is not exactly original. The idea of the mm-hmm. of the vampire moving on, typically Dracula is placed in that role. And then is, you know, that's the whole the connection between him and Mina is where, where this kind of goes. But in this one, it's not Dracula. It's just a vampire. But it's essentially telling the Dracula and Mina story is what it's, is what it's you know, doing here. And... 
I loved uh, what got me the most was in that in that kind of old style cinematography that you're mentioning in the 70s, which I thought worked extremely well with the aesthetics of the film, because the uh, how Sato uh, captured the Gothic Victorian architecture in both the modern age and um, older time and in the in the in the flashback stuff. I thoroughly enjoyed that from the scenes in the because everywhere feels old. You know, everywhere feels like it has an age or it has what it was the way it was lit and the way it was shot. And there's always this kind of like almost like uh, I kept I kept being reminded of when when in Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf was doing his research on the one ring in the very first movie, when, you know, when Ian McKellen is running around there, you get that kind of like old feel to it. Like, you know, you're diving back where everything around him has this kind of aged presence to it. And I thought that was fantastic, given that Julian Sands. Was is a remarkably attractive individual, and you know, just has those dash has those dashing good looks, especially back in the '90s when he was just, you know, when he was everywhere. And you juxtapose that against an against an external aesthetic where everything is kind of aged and drawn down, so that your eyes are really attracted to these individuals. Where you look at everyone else is a little bit different than Julian than Julian Sands's character. Um, remember his guy uh, remember his character's name um alex and then Susanna hamilton who plays Anne. both of them are lit different to make them pop out of those backgrounds and to really stand them out which i thoroughly enjoy because you get a you get a sense of that kind of like that disconnect which is what we puts us in the shoes of alex he's disconnected from time you know everything is just kind of background to him which i really loved and really helped <laughs> with the character development no, you pretty much nailed it when you said like very disassociative feel to it. You feel like you're pulled away. That's a good way to put it. Plus, Julian Sands, man, like come on, he just kills it every time. And, yeah, I do uh, like I do like some Julian Sands. Oh like, yeah, and yeah. and uh, left-handed Genesis is sad about Julian Sands yeah. passing away. It was such it was such, you know broke our heart to you know, to uh, to talk about that. But fortunately, we we've gotten to talk about several movies. We talked about Warlock. We've talked about uh, Roma Santa, the Werewolf Hunter, and now we get a chance to talk about Tale of a Vampire. Now this and and what's interesting is that this one kind of fell to the wayside. Like I I have seen. I remember this is what's weird. The poster for the film. Has that like that garg like the gargoyle, and then like goes down, and then Julian Sands' face, and it was like you get an idea of what this movie is probably like. It's like, oh wow, it's like he's a vampire. He's like, oh, you know, demonic entity. That is not the air of this movie at all. The movie is a horror film with plenty of you know bloodletting and gore for those who might dig it, and some pretty you know creepy, I would say cre creepy, kind of gross scenes in it because you know fucking vampires. But there was a, it was almost like. Julian Sands, what I think I think you guys will agree, is always phenomenal to watch because the dude is absolutely fearless in every role he takes. He will go the limit for any character that he's taking on. He will bring something to it that makes it his own. And that's what's he always loves, fun to watch. He loves doing it. Right. And I, I, it, this tell. is almost it was almost like this is like Julian Sands taking on Anne Rice. It has an Anne Rice kind of feel to it, but with Ju with that Julian Sands energy where it's almost mm -hmm. like you can feel it kind of emanating, even though he's a he's very he's kind of quiet. He's very well presented. He doesn't like lose control and get all animated. That's not what Julian Sands does. But you can sense that energy underneath him, you know, where it's yep. just this finely controlled. And I love that aspect to it. And then, of course, his chemistry with virtually everybody is fantastic. I, I, it would, it, the film caught me off guard because it's a little on the slow side, but that's okay 
because I think ultimately it's saved by Sans' performance and his chemistry with the other with the other uh, actors. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead, Alex. I was just I was gonna say this movie started out as like a sixty minute video project, and some Japanese financiers ended up seeing it and reached out and you know offered to pay to make it a feature length film, thirty five millimeter film. So yeah, it was it was a project, and then then they get Julian Sands in there to do yeah. It, there was this was a recipe that could have gone terribly wrong, but it, it moving from like a sixty minute short to a full feature length movie, and it because it falls apart sometimes. It's, you know, you you got a vision, you can cram it all into sixty minutes. That's what you've planned for, and then you got to fill a whole movie. But uh, everything kind of fell into place with this one, I thought, especially it, just the the drive everybody brought too. Like like you were saying with Julian Sands, he brings his whole self to the part every time. But so did everybody else in this. It was great. It's a it's an interesting note because um, the director uh, Shimako Sato uh, is not, was not. If you look at his filmography, he's not really known for these kinds of films. Like he's known for stuff like K twenty, um, Echo Echo Azarak, and uh, just a number of that, that's a little, that's either high on the drama or high on the action. And the issue and and it was intriguing to see him kind of like break out and do something a little bit different, which was this movie here, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, Oh, holy shit. So I just got a, like a notification. I thought it was something weird going on, but holy shit. Look who is holy in the house. Shit. Whoa. It is, is that it is something weird going on. Well, no, I got a notification saying, and, <laughs> and uh, no, I got a notification saying that there was a, there was a connectivity issue with an angry elf. I was like, what the yeah. fuck is that? And I had to scroll down to see your face. And I was like, oh, it's <laughs> I am an angry would, elf. Would that be weird, though? I mean, really, like out of everything that happens. Well, for a second there, I was afraid I got hacked. And I was like, somebody you, like fucking with my stream yards. Like, you kind of oh, did. Apparently there was. <laughs> yes. Hi, everybody. Up, How you been? Oh, you know. Uh, yep, sure yeah, you do. <laughs> 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 uh, what piece of shit movie are we talking about now? It's not a piece of shit. <laughs> not Tale every of a vampire. Tale of a vampire. And not every. Wait, you said it was not a piece of shit. It's Julian Sands. Uh, just because he, uh, who is now deceased, it's not a piece of shit. Does not mean that the movie he was in. <laughs> Julian Zanz does not do piece of shit movies. What's the name of this one again? If Julian Sands is in the movie, it is logically impossible for the movie to be a piece of shit. That is a logical contradiction. It is a violation of reality, my friend. Let me ask you a question. Are there other actors that uh, fit that bill that if they are in it, they that other actors that do not do pieces of shit? Would you say that, say, Michael Caine doesn't do pieces of shit? Michael Caine? Michael Caine does no pieces of shit. Really? So you would say that, that he has never yes, done... I would say, and I would say that Jaws the Revenge was only salvaged from the deep because of Michael Caine. So that's one piece of shit movie he's done. <laughs> I'm seriously trying to save my analogy here by trying to. I'm, I'm, I'm literally trying to save Jaws of Revenge to save my analogy, and I just can't do it. No, 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 no. I knew exactly what he was going. As soon as he said Michael Caine, I was like, yep. 
that ship sank a long long time ago <laughs> yes it was called the orca <laughs> this is true this is true uh, my Denova twenty eight says even Michael Caine hated that movie. Yes, 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 he, yes he did. He, did. he will openly admit what was, that. What was his? Uh, I think his, uh, my favorite quote of his about that movie was, "No, I have not seen it, but I've seen the house it bought." <laughs> I have not seen the film, and for all reports, it is terrible. But I have seen the house that it bought my mother. And, yeah. it, and it is wonderful. So. <laughs> I do, oh, I do love quotes like that. Like they had somebody who had a picture of Vin Diesel, like on a yacht, and you know, taking a break and kind of let his gut out. And you're like, "This is Vin Diesel with the shirt off on a yacht," and they're like, "Don't make it look like he's the one that lost here." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you yachtless reporter. Yeah, right. Yeah. Jealous yes. motherfucker. Jealousy is an ugly color. But I, okay, I for one, oh, thank you so much, Sir Chasm. Sir Chasm said for 569 Super Chat, nice. thank you so much, says Gary Oldman, no more need be said. Uh, Y'all just gonna like hit me with this look. Okay, thank you so much for the Super Chat, Sir Chasm. We do appreciate that support very, very much. Gary Oldman is also in a class all his own. It's fucking Gary Oldman. You know, it's Gary Oldman, and he he can't be taught. The man is a natural chameleon. I like Julian Sands. I'm a big Julian Sands fan. It's not because he just he recently passed away. I've always been a Julian, fan, Julian Sands fan. Ever since I saw fucking Warlock, I've been a fan of his. And I like what he brings to this movie. Not to mention, Speaking I like the fact movies that, I was, that are shit. What, what I was pointing out was that Shimako, <laughs> what I was pointing out was that Shimako Sato did a fantastic job. Given that normally, if you look at his filmography, it's full of like either high drama or high action. That's what Sato does in his in his native country. So, but then he comes with Kong, and like, like Alex was pointing out, is that, that is that when he's not at, at war with Mister Miyagi? Sato. <laughs> 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 so yeah i like what sato brought to this it was a user yeah i mean surprisingly uh different take for the movies that he usually does and alex was explaining how the process of like you know a, a director like sato you know picking up a film like this would be which would be very very odd so but it's interesting i think it works for the better i like this one for the visual appeal of it the visual aesthetic i thought you know i thought it was really really smart a lot of the choices that they made and what they choose to what they chose to shoot on and how it was chosen to be lit and i just i enjoy and and the writing wasn't bad as well plus i kind of you know plus it has a really nice little ending with you know suppose usually it's the vampire like if, you, if anybody out here has seen uh uh the new dracula with luke evans uh dracula unbound or untold or something like that but in that one it kind of sets up the same kind of situation where Dracula is moving through time and he meets like uh, the reincarnation or whatever of his long lost love. And then you've got Charles dance who was the vampire that he released who gave him his powers. Like, ah, now I'm going to fuck with him. It kind of does the same thing in this one. Um, so many years early, cause it's 1992, but it kind of does the same thing where instead it's the, the woman that he loved her husband, because he stole this woman away from her husband. He became a vampire specifically just so he could torment this fucker through his life and follow him and make sure one day he got his revenge, which is where it all boils down to. But what got me, Dracula Untold, thank you, Denova28, but what gets me was the ending on this one, because that's where it kind of like, I think, unfortunately, kind of drops the ball. Or maybe it doesn't. 
because I think this is kind of divisive in this. There's no happy ending here. The film ends with his love dead and the bad guy has gotten away. He's not dead. That fucker's not dead. He said he was a vampire and all he did was like knock him out the window into the fucking water. And then we don't see him again. <laughs> and then, ah, I can't resurrect my love. She is dead. He murdered her. And then I weep because I'm Julian Sands and that's what I do. And so then, then, then the then credits. And I was like, what the f-? I was like, that kind of, I don't know. Did it take anybody else out of it? Because it was like this nice crescendo all of a sudden. No, you don't get a happy ending, Alex. I'm sorry. No, not you, the, the, the character. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Got to pay extra for that, buddy. <laughs> well, it was free on you. It was free on YouTube. So what do you want? Yeah, and we're still defending this as not a piece of shit. It was ninety. It's ninety-two, man. Come on. I was good. It was good. It was a bunch of movies ending the way that you think they would end. Having one with a twist ending was nice at that time period. So uh, honest, the, honestly, the thing is, and the issue I have with this movie's pacing because. It is a very slow movie, and it's it is, very, yeah. very slow. It's a, it's a very steady movie. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a tortoise type of movie, except <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't establish the atmosphere that I would like. And maybe it is just because of the time period, because in '92 you don't get a lot of films um, that are super atmospheric, like we do get some stuff like today. Um, so it did, it did feel a little slow. It did feel like it kind of dragged on, um, a little bit. So the, like I said, the pacing was just kind of off there. Uh, in terms of the ending itself, it was kind of like a, oh, I honestly, I thought the climax as a whole was kind of a letdown because when you have like a slow, like a real slow burn, the slow burn has to ramp to something, right? You have to have the climax the slower the burn you have the bigger the climax has to be so you have the everything like goes loose and the house explodes and all the demons and stuff come you have to have something that's up to that that's the payoff for it and we're still talking about really movies happen. right well yeah and especially especially in a vampire movie that ostensibly has so little um so little like vampire action in it because as far as like julian Sands being a vampire there's not a lot of that. Not a lot of the classic vampire stuff you see. There are a few kills, but they're short, and they're kind of they're, 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 I think they're truncated a little too much, and so you don't get enough to kind of break up the break up the the, the slow tedium. Now I get it. I get why that tedium is there. Why that slow monotony is there, and that that slow monotony reflects the character of Alex as he trudges through time, unable to die. That that's what his life has become. I get that the that the that the structure of the movie, the actual like structure pacing uh, and the editing of the movie reflects the character and puts us really into that mindset, which is why I thought, despite the fact that it works against us, is also a really really good choice because it allows us to connect with that character in a in a way that oftentimes movies, oftentimes filmmakers won't do because they don't want to sacrifice the kind of like enjoy uh, the, <clears throat> they don't want to sacrifice the overall enjoyability for the film in order to really give a nuanced and deep you know, character that the audience can connect with, which is obviously a risk that some people will take this one. I like that he took the risk. Cause we don't, cause like you said, we don't often get that in today's films. And I dug that he was willing to go that route to make the character, uh, the character uh, identifiable with 
through the structure of the entire film. I dug that a little bit. It was it was new and it was it was something new that we're just not used to today. It does kind of. Work I will say the- that this that the '90s, especially the early '90s, is like the death of that nuance type of ending we're talking about everything you know we really started seeing the whole cookie cutter shit like that started to bleed through everything it was always there in like you know rom-com and drama and drama shit right the nice little wrap it up in a little bow and put it now it's you know it's really started to there are certain expectations and i feel like the horror genre has been able to get away with not doing that for you know the longest time but we really started to see even that started happening in the early nineties. And that kind of carried through the like whole CW era of horror film and shit, you know, with, uh, with Dewey getting with fucking Courtney Cox and the stupid shit that would happen in scream. Like, fuck's sake, just kill people and be done with it. Fucking <laughs> hell. Yeah, that's true. We're getting the, the Hollywood cookie cutter feel good ending that we've talked about that foreign films have been able to dodge easily uh, that we're kind of, we're kind of stuck with, but honestly, probably one of the reasons it slipped under the radar is because you have another bigger vampire movie that came out the same year. Yeah. Yeah. One that was a, a piece of shit. Yeah. That actually will get <laughs> <laughs> Yep. what was that what was that vampire movie called uh i can't remember the name of that one oh geez Mm. yeah 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 just just, just something Mm. out there i fucking fucking hate you i really do (laughs) (laughs) was it alucard yeah it was alucard Okay. Strong yes. brokers, yes. Alucard. Very hard to very hard to compete with Francis Ford Coppola, Gary Oldman, and Anthony Hopkins on the same, you know, doing the same movies. Like, come on, Gary Elves, fucking Rocketeer. Uh, obviously, geez. obviously, Bram Stoker's Dracula was was hard to it was difficult to compete with. By the way, good to see you, uh, Strange Like Seven Ninety. Thanks so much for being here tonight, and as well as Extra J. Good to see you. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. We do appreciate it. B Blanco as well. Good to see you. Have a great night, Triggered Limey. Get some rest. Um, Sarcasm says the TP nine thousand is starting to overheat. Please put it down now. I didn't think I was running it. I was. You were writing it. Uh, it. I don't know about running it. But you were certainly writing that shit. <laughs> okay, so maybe. Okay, I I I enjoyed the movie. Fine. Fuck you then. So <laughs> I'm not going to be ashamed for enjoying for enjoying uh, Julian Sands and you know I'm, I'm just not I'm not I'm not I'm not going to be ashamed of it I'm not don't be ashamed we you shouldn't be ashamed of enjoying pieces of shit for breakfast you're not Chris O'Donnell I'm sorry <laughs> worth a shot. All right. But yeah, so I I think there was a lot of things that worked for it. Uh, some things that did work against it. I think Eugene pointed out well, and I like that. Um, and I like that Alex brought it. Brought, I didn't, wasn't aware of that information where basically how the movie eventually got made, but it was such a smart choice for a director who managed to pick it up. And he might, I don't know why. I mean, so, so the possibility of doing something different may, may have been why he picked it up, but I thought it was a smart choice. Eventually he made some smart moves and the film we're talking about a movie that obviously could have been a hell of a lot worse than it was. 
So there was a lot of things that could have gone wrong with this, given that they're essentially telling a Dracula story, but they're not using the name Dracula or Mina or anything involved in that. Not so they kind of like went in a dress like, oh, yeah, we're going to tell the story, but we're not going to attach it to anything, you know, to Bram, to what Bram Stoker did. So, you know, maybe maybe that's what hurt it. I don't know, because it didn't have the recognition. Maybe if it had been, you know, Dracula or something of that nature, then that might have played. It probably just honestly, probably honestly. just timing. And the one thing okay, yeah, I don't like, I don't like vampires with no fangs. Not a fan. Not a fan of vampires with no fangs. It's, it's not a vampire then. That's just a fucking emo child from the two thousands. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just it. You don't have to do the whole like face thing, I, but you gotta have have fangs. I, it's like a werewolf no, never transforming. Eyes are gonna gnaw on you. I, 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 I. Yeah, <laughs> so. like a bald werewolf. You ever seen a hairless uh, dog? It's not scary. Oh, maybe it's scary, but not for that reason. Not for that reason. I always wondered, though, whatever happened to, like, werewolves who suffered from male pattern baldness? Does that carry over into the, the werewolf form? It's like some skull at having motherfuckers I, running I, around. I, I, I hope not. I'm picturing a werewolf with no <laughs> And I just these see, like, the, a giant the deep. foreskin. These are the deep questions. <laughs> these are the deep questions that we ask here at Week in Horror. These are the deep questions. These are the yep. things that we think about these things, so you don't have to. <laughs> we think about these things because you never will. We're <laughs> gonna have to Oh, go for it. Oh, wait, I want to ask the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Great segue. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite Julian Sands film? Arachnophobia. Hands down. Yeah, I grew up with arachnophobia. Arachnophobia? Yeah. Gotta go. Yeah. I, I, my favorite, gotta go with Warlock. I, I'm with gotta you on with Warlock. Warlock. I'm with you on Warlock. I, I figured y'all would say Warlock. I mean, Warlock is good. I figured y'all would say it. See, I gotta go with Warlock because, not just because for his, for his performance, but his, his chemistry with Richard Grant. Which I thought the two of them playing off one another, the Warlock and Redfern. I thought they they made that movie. So yeah, you know, I just I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was a good one. So Warlock's always going to be my favorite Julian Sands film, hands down. I see a lot of Warlock love in the in the, the side chat right there. Let me see here. Uh, Sarcasm says Warlock. Jeremy Duncan, Warlock, hands down. Absolutely strange, like seven ninety says Warlock, awesome. Uh, Jove twenty eight says Rose Red, interesting, mm. very cool. Interesting. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, Is that a movie there. though? Yeah, I would say it's a, it's a TV movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is it? I thought it was a series, and it was like a miniseries. Wait, what, what, wasn't it? Was it a miniseries? Two part miniseries? I think I it was, was a three parter. Three part. Yeah. Three so, part but so here, fun fact: when I was a kid, VHSs were a thing, and so my neighbor, uh, his parents had recorded the Rose Red on VHS. So I'd seen it a couple of times, and I thought it was just a movie because I was young and I didn't know any better. It was on a VHS tape. So up until probably in my twenties, I didn't I didn't even know it was like a three part series because. Hadn't seen it, but yeah. Ab, Sherry Tilly says, uh, Sherry Tilly, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Says, uh, hi guys, so totally late. And Travis Brown says, yep, Rose Red is three parts. Absolutely. And Travis Brown also said, not a film, but his voice work in Jackie Chan Adventures. And I remember that cartoon because he was the main bad guy in it. Yep, I remember, I remember that cartoon. The intro <laughs> will cut between animation and Jackie Chan in real yes. life. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then at the end of each episode, he would do a little deal where he would where he would explain like some of the stuff that he does as a stuntman in a film. I thought it was really cool. He's like, "This is how we do this," and like and they like show something off. I thought it was really that was a fun show. 
That wasn't funny. It was educational. I remember that shit. We're going to have to fucking retitle this episode, JL. It's going to be called Tale of a Man. Oh, look, a squirrel. Well, it always happens when Johnny comes on. That's so, true. I just uh, I come here to wreak havoc and wreck the fucking shit. <laughs> we All right, Alex. Definitely let us know down in the comments below or we can order gmail.com what your favorite Julian Sands film is. Can't wait to hear from y'all. Uh Alex, what do we have next? I know well, before, we have some fans of this one in the chat, so try not to shit too hard on it. I'm not gonna shit on it at all. Uh, I do have to go. I just want to stop in and say hi to all of you awesome folks, especially you and you and you and you and you. You over there, you back there. All you guys are awesome. Uh, oh, sorry, Alex. Didn't mean to pecker slap you. Uh, <laughs> we will have uh, we will have a big ish announcement in the next two weeks, Eugene. Yeah, say about the next two weeks. Next It'll two weeks, two to big, three weeks. Yeah, big ish announcement. Um, Stay tuned for that. Lots of fun things that I haven't just not been here. Okay. I've been fucking working my ass off on some other uh, venues and whatnot for uh, a multitude of projects. But uh, this, this one that we've got coming up, I think we're going to, it's going to be fun. Um, and it's going to be a pretty awesome time. So do stay tuned to these talking heads, even though some of us are kind of assholes. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, good to see you guys. We'll uh, catch you all on the flip side. Yes, Thanks sir. For stopping in, man. Good to see you. All right, thank you for stopping by. Oh man, now, now it's, it's all quiet. Like the energy just dropped out of the fucking. <laughs> yeah, room. now it's just like, well, we have to be more movies left, I guess. Tony Regime would like to point out that we missed a lot of love for Naked Lunch as well. Absolutely, Naked Lunch was fantastic. Tony, you uh, you definitely got that one. Uh, Sir Kevin says I did not get to see of Unknown Origin, so I'm going to just shut the fuck up and listen. All right, so go ahead, Alex. It's yours. Yeah, I'm talking over you. So you ready? No, it's all good. Hey, live chat. Let me know There's if fucking chaos in here. <laughs> it is. It's it's nuts. But hey, it's okay. It's been a long time since we've all been together. It's fine. It's good. Um, uh, live chat. If you would, let me know if my audio is still not matching the video because I'll drop my video. If it's not doing that. So you look know. good. Yeah, it's good, it, it's it looks good here, but I was watching it on the the live and it's a little off. So if that's still happening, let me know. Um, couple, but couple other year, than couple that, years, your beard's gonna rival mine. I know. No shave November is doing me pretty good, huh? All right, cool. Let's do this one. This is a good one. We're gonna go with uh, of unknown origin. This one came out November twenty fourth, nineteen eighty three. We've got a trailer for this one, right? Yes, we do. Okay, good. Roll it. Awesome, and good to see you, Crazy Lake two thousand six, who says seems to be in sync for me. Good to see you, bud. As oh wait, it is off now. He may be back, but it's hard to say. Mr. Andrad, good to see you as well. Thanks so much for hanging out. Let's cue up the terror tube. It came from New York. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This see, that's one. funny because the movie was actually shot in Canada. So it's actually in Montreal is where that was shot. So, But I like that. It makes for it passes well for New York. It's supposed to be. Uh, this uh, psychological horror film was directed by George P. Cosmato, starring Peter Weller, Jennifer Dale, Lawrence Dane, Maury Chaikin, and Shannon Tweed. Um, this movie was based on a novel called The Visitor. This was written by uh, Chauncey Parker III. 
story follows a Manhattan banker named Bart, uh, who becomes increasingly obsessive and destructive in his attempts to kill a rat. He has taken residence in his recently renovated brownstone. That wasn't a fucking rat. That was, yeah. a, God, that was a goddamn German Shepherd's what that was. That was a big ass <laughs> like. <laughs> That was a big ass fucking rat. Is what that was. That was. Uh, I don't know. I've never been to New York. Is it? Is it like normal size there? I've seen a couple I, of huge I even ones think here in Texas. For, but... I even think for unknown, for unknown. I think I even think for for fucking New York that even that might have been a little a little large because that that rat was a fucking monster. We're talking like <laughs> you know, and it just the. the there's so many things to dive into this one. Number one, okay, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Not did anybody else because we talked about it recently. Did anybody else get from Peter Weller? When I was watching Peter Weller in this, I kept getting. It was reminding me of of, of Christopher Walken in Communion. Just the that the the cap. Uh, they're two different performances, but the level of the natural level of performance. They make they they both play dads fantastically. There's just a like a natural family man like that. I like I, I like the natural feel of the film. It felt very very real to me, and I, I got to credit Peter Weller with that because he sold this thing fantastically. And I kind of dug that because I was like, damn, because I uh, I got into it like I got into Christopher Walken's performance in Communion. I got into Peter Weller's performance in this one of the one guy slowly going mad as he's facing this like this, this you know this increasingly indomitable threat from, you know, from within his own home. And I dug that. It just, it, this one rang, it just, just rang for me so well. Plus I love the, uh, the combination of, uh, I, uh, one thing I really dug from a, from a visual standpoint is if you look at the brownstone that they live in, that historic brownstone that they're in and where that was shot, it's a famous mansion that's over, uh, that's over in, uh, in Montreal. But, the but Cosmatos, a smart decision to make because Cosmatos is a fantastic director. I loved the visual aesthetic of everywhere but the brownstone, which was I think it was an interesting choice because he managed to capture all of the brutalist architecture that is common in Montreal, which is that very bl hard block style of architecture you see in like the you know the buildings next door, and it makes the brownstone stand out because it's the only place that looks alive. Which I found was really—it's like this little island amongst this, you know, this gray kind of depressing sea. And then you've got Peter Weller going mad on this little island all himself. That kind of like I, that sense of isolation, and not to mention the allusions to Moby Dick and the old man in the sea from Ernest Hemingway. This creating this sense of one man against nature, which I really dug. You know, surrounded by nothing, it's just one hit because there's nothing he can rely on because nothing's available. He's all alone, secluded in this little island all himself amongst the city. And I, I dug the shit out of this one from a visual, from a narrative standpoint. Visually, I thought it was really smart. Even though George B. Cosmatos, you know, he passed away, but even though he's a fucking asshole, he was a fucking asshole as a director. And just you know, the tales. Anybody's familiar with him knows that. But as a director. He knew what to fucking do. I had to give him that. And this one looked really fucking sharp. I did, I enjoyed this one. Um, I do. I like battles of wit. That is something that some the type of films that I've always really enjoyed where you have a smart, despite the fact going insane, a smart protagonist and a smart antagonist. That's why it even in simple films like Tremors. I like because that is once again it's a battle of wits. 
when the when the small town of perfection started to come with an ideas then eventually the graboids counter that idea hmm. so i i always like this going back and forth and i like ideas that is just simple it, it, we, we don't have to go through this huge huge a huge exploration of this and that or anything like that it's like you know what you got a rat the size of a wolf and you have a guy <laughs> who's trying to take care of it in his home and go so I I definitely I enjoyed this one. I like the effects that they use with the rats. I like some of the camera angles they use. Rat point of view shots are cool. The camera moving quickly through the walls, the camera skimming across the floor, stuff like that is fun to shoot. And so and the fact that the rat kind of taunted him a little bit, I enjoyed the film. I did. Like, the rat, rat was psychologically fucking with his ass if you like it. Like you know the when rat he's played the piano. <laughs> when like, come the, on, the, the, the fucking thing. You know, it's like you, then all of a sudden when he deliberately chews through the phone cords and kind of like cuts off his phone conversation. He's like, huh? He's like, yeah, you're being isolated, dude. This fucker is cutting you off from everyone. You are alone. That's the whole point. I, I, oh, there's so many fantastic yeah you know, things that are done in this film. And I do dig the, the the rat POV shots, like through the walls or through the pipe and like that. There was some really, really good shit. This is really, really smartly done. The classic tale of, of essentially the movie is kind of like a two-hander, even though two-handers are usually two actors who are talking back and forth, the dialogue's back and forth. But this movie kind of acts like that, whereas one of, one of the other actors doesn't have any lines. They just do shit, and the other actor is forced to deal with this, with the other person, like the other in the scene, they're forced to deal with that as someone who doesn't respond to them and only like, and only does action. And then they have to convey all the emotions that are coming through because, you know, nothing's really coming from the other person. I love that natural frustration as an actor. If you imagine that, if you imagine, uh, I know you've done some, you've done some acting, Eugene. Being, this is what I, as, what I kept getting, if, going back to my training, when I was back in, when I was back in school, being in a scene with another actor who doesn't give you anything, okay, and or and only may or maybe only gives you snippets to work with. They're kind of like they're not really there. They're maybe they're in their own world or they're doing their own thing. But you know whatever. But you have to interact with them. You have to make the scene work. So when that happens, one actor ends up compensating for the other actor. You know, and they they try to like you know to add to it to like really really build it up because the other actor's not giving them anything. That same kind of thing is happening was what's happening here. I got I got those vibes from Peter Weller. You're working with it's a it's a rat. Obviously, it's a fake rat. Yeah, it was like you know the rats don't get that big. The fucking thing was like that big. It was like half the size of his back. Okay, so yeah, but he's but he's working with this. He's working with this with this other actor, uh, essentially an actor that doesn't have any lines and is only doing shit to him and to the things around him, destabilizing the home that he takes so much pride in. You know, and then, uh, you know, upsetting his stand, the, the, the natural order of things. Now he has to compete with this thing. So the bigger and bigger, the more and more uh, destructive and, and, and invasive the rat becomes, the bigger Peter Weller gets to kind of like compensate for what's going on to make sense of these things. He gets more frantic and frenetic and starts like acting out of character. And I love his slow descent. As he's dealing with you know, where, the, where the, the the rational mind meets the pure a uh, you know, pure evolved instinct in dealing with that, I got that sense. He's kind of like it's like in his frustration was like 
dealing with this fucking thing that he can't reason with, that will not listen to him, that will not pick up any on any cues. It's kind of like this why you don't work with animals. You know, the whole thing. You know? So I really enjoyed that aspect of what Peter Weller brought what Peter Weller brought to it. Well, and the thing is it's something relatable because like we've all had to hunt something in our house before, whether yes. it was like a roach or maybe a rat or squirrel. Uh, we recently had raccoon issues where raccoon was burrow burrowing in the attic and it will drive you crazy. It will. It will drive you crazy. When, <laughs> when we had, we had a raccoon problem here a couple months ago and you hear it, you hear it nibbling away like taunting you you get that way kind of thing and you would go and you would board up okay clearly it's coming here and board up and stuff and then all of a sudden it finds another way in and you're like <laughs> oh that wasn't even the entrance okay it's doing this it's doing it and like um it it will get to you it will get to you after a while so i can totally relate to it extra j says i get a mouse in the wall every now and then that i can hear taunting me getting in my head but I haven't yet turned to running around in a gimp suit with a shotgun yet. <laughs> <laughs> I and I dig that when Peter Weller busts out the high, he busts out the hockey pads, and he's like, and when he, when he makes that makes that club made of broken mouse traps and nails with with in a baseball bat, he's like, we're going, we're going to war. <laughs> that was one of the best scenes. Was the exterminator guy, or the, the maintenance dude who comes in and just when he was like, what the hell's going on? And then he walks down and he's like, lets himself in. People just letting themselves into people's homes and shit is just. But he walks in and he takes one look at him, and Peter Weller turns around and is like, "Yeah," it doesn't say a word. And the the, the guy's like, "Okay, I'm out of here." Just like I'm yep. gone. He just fucking walks off. <laughs> <laughs> I love this one as a really really fun character study. It's no frills filmmaking, really very very simply done and just classic standard. Like you know, we're telling a specific story, we don't need to go above and beyond to tell it. We only need to convey what needs to be conveyed and. I've, I've, I myself have longed to be able to sink my teeth into a part where the where the weight of it is on me like that because the weight of this is on Peter Weller, and how not only how he's how his character kind of devolves in the house in response to the rat, but how that also affects his external relationships around him as you see him slowly begin to degrade both at the office and when he's at the dinner party and he kind of upsets everybody with all his rat talk, you know, because he, he went and he studied them and learned all about them and then kind of moving through this thing. So I I love the character arc here. It's wonderfully done. It's essentially a retelling of Moby Dick or, uh, you know, something like like Hemingway's uh, um, The Old Man in the Sea, you know, fighting against the the, the Marlin at all odds. And I, I dug this one. It's just good classic filmmaking. Just a lot of fun. I got, you know, reminiscent of like Cat's Eye and shit like that. It's something that's really just, it's straightforward. And you're right in terms of the no frills. I, I love good existential films and they'll talk about society and there's deeper meanings and all this. And those films are fantastic. There is nothing wrong with those films. But sometimes it's good to have man, rat, let's go. Just something that's just straight, that's just straightforward. We don't need to go beyond that. It, this is the type of film that knew exactly what it was and then just executed. And then we feel, we feel it with, with, when he finally manages to to catch it down in the basement. He's like the full, he's flooding the fucking house. He's destroyed everything. At some points, I honestly, okay, looking at it, you know, tell me you got this. Uh, tell me you picked up on this. Peter Weller's running around the house. He's chasing the rat through the entire, through the entire fucking brownstone. 
and he is fucking swinging at shit, but I'm pretty damn, there was a lot of moments in there where the rat has already run away, and Peter Weller is still swinging where the rat was, and I'm thinking that, like, direction-wise, I think Cosmatos just told Peter Weller, here's this, there's that, go to fucking town, and they just, like, he's just like, like, (laughs) and then Cosmatos would be like, the rat's over there! Yeah, and, he like <laughs> and so there's no rat he's interacting with. It's just Peter Weller going fucking ape shit on his on this house. Destroy everything. Just hit everything you can. If you see something, smash it. And he's just like, ah, until eventually down in the basement. Hit all those pipes. So that the rat's not even there. The rat's over there. It's like, fuck no, destroy everything. Fuck everything. <laughs> I will bring this fucker down. I will tear this house apart. <laughs> Oh, I fucking love that. And then, he, <laughs> then of course, you feel it. When you feel it when he finally kills that fucking thing down there. He traps it in the model of the house, which I dug, and destroys the house. That sense that, and I love that narrative arc from a writing perspective. That his preoccupation with the house, you know, that this was my, this was my, my thing. And, and he has this kind of sense that his wife, even though she loves it, doesn't really get how much it means to him. So he feels kind of like he's. He's kind of self-isolating that respect. He's like, she really doesn't get it because he really loves that house. He's very proud of that house and all the work that went into it as, ex- as expressed in the back and forth between the maintenance guy who comes in when he's talking to him. And so you have, I, you lo- I love that little back and forth they have going on. And then at the end of it, the whole like sy- symbolism there that to kill this thing, he's got to let go of his past. He's got to let go of that shit that he keeps hanging on to. He has to destroy that, which is in the destruction of the model home that, you know, why would you have a model home built of the oh, your fucking home? I understand he re- he renovated, but to go to that extreme, you know, and then seeing how he kind of like, he kind of like, you know, you know, you know tiptoed over the line with the secretary for a minute that he's not himself. And that by destroying the home, by destroying the model home and killing his adversary, he's finally able to let that go and recognize what's really important. And that is his wife and his child who come home and he's like, what the fuck happened? I had a party. <laughs> I fucking love that line. Could have just left. I have, I, I get this feeling in this movie. Like, okay, here's the director. We're, we're starting the movie out. All right. So you're going to take it. You're going to take it like this. You're going to realize something's up and then you're going to slowly here channel this. You put something down and now it's gone and you can't find it, but you swear it's in the place that you left it. So you keep going back to that until you start getting more crazy and crazy. And then we're going to just pop off with the, the hit and the shit. It was, you could relate to all those feelings. It's like, you're looking for something, you know where it's at, and you know that it's in a spot, but you tear the whole house apart looking for it, and then you keep going back to that one spot, and you think you're going fucking nuts, and then you leave for an hour, and you come back, it's in the spot you thought it was. And I was like, okay, I, I can relate to this guy's manic behavior <laughs> to, to an extent. I like sarcasm said, tell me there's an after credit scene showing a dozen more rats in the sewer climbing up to the house. No, that didn't happen, but I will say this, and it's a funny little thing that you, if you blink, you'll miss it. One thing I caught while watching it, because I was like, you know, when it came down to the end of this thing, and I'm like, you know, I'm 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 totally in, and you know, Peter Weller is just going fucking town on his house, and he finally kills the rat, and we're like, yes, you know, Independence Day, and I have the, you know, I love that fucking moment, and then he comes out and he greets his wife, and you know, like this, and he makes that joke like, oh, I had a party, because that's more believable than what he was actually doing. Oh, I destroyed the entire house trying to kill a rat. No, it's like, oh, I had a party of you know whatever. It's kind of like you know, you're you're watching, you know. I've, I've you know, that jo- that joke of your wife walks in on you doing you know like looking at something and you're just like what are you doing? It's like it's like what are you looking at on your computer? Nothing, porn. 
because that's much better. <laughs> that's better than what you were looking at. So I love that joke. But if you watch, it's a blink and you mo it blink and you miss it moment. The camera at the end, they walk inside, leave the luggage. Like fuck the luggage. I just need you guys. And then the camera pans up to the brownstone. You see the brownstone full glory. There's an there's an apartment building next door to the to the brownstone, and one of the windows is open. There's a dude in his underwear sitting there looking out the window, like at the camera. Like, what are they doing? It's like like this look look at like like what are they doing down there? It's like it's like it's like uh get the picture. And there he is. But then because this is going into the credits, then it pauses because it it gets up to the shot. Boom, frame frame the brownstone, and then. It, there's a cut and the only way you could tell is if you watch the guy and all of a sudden he like disappears and he's he's like first he's laying it's like he's lying on the bed looking out the window and then he like jumps and there's a jump cut and then he's like up and he's walking around in his underwear <laughs> and then he just and then there's another cut and he disappears but the house never changes the only way you'd know there was a change is by watching the guy and <laughs> it was like that's fucking amazing that they caught that it's like who, i don't know what went on in between you know, where he went from like looking out the window to standing up in his underwear to vanishing completely. But it's it's a blink and you miss it moment because typically you'll get that, you know, you'll do that pan up of oh, the house and then the old, the old pause. You won't want to record any additional footage like birds flying through some shit. So you just you freeze frame, you freeze frame on the shot and then that's it. Well, they didn't do that. <laughs> so uh, just a little moment that you catch there in the credits. I thought was quite funny. It was like that that. That's a good little, uh, good little, uh, that's, I didn't even there. catch that. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> it was just, I, I was sitting on my because the way I have it set up, I have my big screen like right in front of the bed, and so I'm sitting on the edge of the bed and I'm watching. I'm like, I'm totally engrossed. I'm like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. I was like, oh, that was good. I like, oh, it's a funny joke. Who is that fucking dude in the window? Like, <laughs> what is he doing? And then, oh, shit. And then it cut, cut, and it was, oh, okay, interesting. They had to edit it, they, they did a couple cuts there. In order to try and get that guy out of the fucking place. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I know that people are going to go back and watch of an unorigin. They're going to look for the guy in the window at the end credits. I know they did. So there you go. A little Easter egg for people who <laughs> wasn't aware of it. Um, I, I know that Raven Darkstar is a huge fan of this movie. Raven, you got to let me know if you if you saw the guy in the window in the credits. Yeah, you got to let me know if you were aware of that, or did I just give you an Easter egg you didn't know? I'm very, She's very like, curious. hell yeah, I get to go watch it again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, so uh, Jeremy Duncan brought up uh, Mul uh, Mulberry Street. Yeah, Mulberry Street was another one with uh, with killer rats. Well, technically, like mutant rat people. It was that one? It was interesting. I dug this one. Not nothing supernatural. Not just a just a big ass fucking rat, and you know, you know, just brought back me. It, it, it gave me the gray feels. You know, like, like Liam Neeson fights a wolf. I like that. You know, just that's all I need. Just Liam Neeson. He's like fuck this shit. I'm gonna beat up a wolf. It's like you are not gonna beat up a wolf. Well, actually, it's Liam Neeson. He may just beat up a wolf. Peter Weller will kill the fucking shit out of this rat. Maybe Liam Neeson can beat up a wolf. Maybe. All right. Since we're already diving, this was great. Listen, this was good. Like you said, a little psychological thriller. Just kind of get your your heart racing for a little bit. Nothing weird. You don't have to think about it afterwards. Wraps up pretty nicely with your your cute little joke at the end. Um. I think I think we've talked about this one enough. We got to move on because I really want to get to the last movie tonight. But uh, oh yeah, yeah, hey, we're running, we're running way behind right now. Ah, you know, yeah, it's just the three of us, man. It's been, it's been. So we, we, it has been. We're a we're savoring it. Where I have to savor it because I may be doing solo episodes for the next like <laughs> month and a half. So I have no idea. So I like it when I have all yeah. this. So it's fair enough. I don't have to come up with all the content. 
Eat is awesome. We get to sit and we get to enjoy. <laughs> I do. I get to sit back. It's like, do you have an idea trying to come up with fucking jokes for two hours straight and try to find the humor when you're talking about shit fucking movies that, you know, because some of the movies I talk about are, are yeah, I was like, I got to find a light in the end of the tunnel somewhere. Even if I have to make one, <laughs> drag this film kicking and screaming. Oh, holy shit! Ronald S. Name says, "What if this movie was remade with Nicolas Cage?" That's, I was thinking that from the fucking start, dude. That's awesome. Ooh. Fucking oh cage God, rage on a cage that. rage on a rat. That would be great. That would be. I would watch that, dude. We you could probably get him to do that movie. I, I honestly, I feel like I can just like call information, just get his number, and then he'll do it. <laughs> The Nicolas Cage movie offer hotline. <laughs> uh, all right. Let me ask the audience. Rats, because they're fucking disgusting and they are pain in the ass to get rid of. Um, they can be a horror in and of themselves. But let me know. What is your favorite rat horror film? There's actually quite a few of them out there. We've there talked are. about a few of them. Damn, there's a bunch. Because you got, we mentioned Mulberry Street earlier. You've got Food of the Gods. Um, I was going to say Willard. Willard, yeah. yeah. Um, damn, favorite rat horror film? Fucking, even though the big bad at the end of it wasn't a rat, I'm going to have to say Graveyard Shift. Okay. I can see that, yeah. Because lots of rats in that movie. Like, lots <laughs> of rats in that rats movie. In that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to go Graveyard Shift. Definitely Graveyard Shift. What about y'all? Um, I would have to either do Willard or Ben. Ben was good. Ben was good. Ben was really good. And then as soon as I as soon as I say that, sarcasm popped up in the chat. Ben and Willard. (laughs) Ben and Willard. Yeah. Oh, uh, left handed Jedi said night shift. Uh, Do you mean graveyard shift? From the Stephen King adapted from the Stephen King short story about the uh, the uh, the cleanup crew in the old mill. And they find like the big monster, the big monster, like bat looking fucking thing down there in the bottom. There's rats fucking everywhere. Rodinella Samsey's Secret of Nim. Although I wouldn't say it's a horror film, but definitely one of my favorites. Definitely. Silly. Ooh, movie. Crazy Like 2006 is going with Gortner and Food of the Gods. Hell yeah. Yes. Food of the Gods with those giant, those giant fuckers. I'm going to go with Dar- uh, The Princess Bride. Oh, Raven Darcy <laughs> said, uh, Oh, Rodents of Unusual Size. I don't think they yes. exist. One of the best moments ever. But Wesley, what about the R.O.U.S.'s? Rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. (laughs) (laughs) Just fucking does it. (laughs) Shit was great. He's like, rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. (laughs) Just gets taken out. (laughs) Raymond Archer says, oh, I haven't seen it in years, so I have to watch it again. Well, then you you definitely have an Easter egg to see when you you go back and watch of Unknown Origin. Casey Cooper brings up Deadly Eyes. Fuck yes, Deadly Eyes with the little dog, with the, with the, the dogs as rats, which is the most adorable rat attack scene you have ever seen in your life. Because he like falls down the stairs, like, oh, I fell down the stairs, and all the rats go, and he's like cuddling him to death. Just like, oh, <laughs> like oh, he's trying oh, to act like he's dying. You know, those dogs are having a blast, and they're just like, this is hilarious. He's like, oh, I'm dying. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> shit was fucking great. I love it because you can see the actor. You see him like, down there in the stairwell. He's trying so hard to look like he's being attacked, but it's just like wet little noses like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking awesome. Um, let's see. Willard, yep, yeah, uh, good stuff. Oh, Secret of Nim did have some horror elements. I will agree. It did have some stuff that for a kid would be scary, yeah. Mulberry Street was also fantastic. 
Good stuff. Oh, <laughs> Tony Richards is Ratatouille. Yes, a, a rat in your hair would be quite would be kind of gross. It absolutely would be. Uh Oh man. Well, oh wait, it's my turn. It's my turn. Yes. Yeah. Well, definitely let us know down in the comments below what your favorite rat horror film is. Love to hear what people think. All right. So let's go move on to our next one. Uh, okay, so this I may turn polish this one because I really kind of dug this one. I did. It, you know, we'll just get there. Released November 24th, 1995. We have the horror film Rumble Stiltskin. Um, and we do have a trailer for this one. We have trailers for, for the next two as well. But let's check queue up the terror tube. Let's check this one out. I have some things to say. Just saying. Oh, I have things to say. Yes, that was the trailer for Rumple Stiltskin. Ah, uh, st- uh, directed by Mark Jones, co-written by Mark Jones and Joe Ruby, starring Kim Johnson, Ulrich, Tommy Blaze, Alice Beasley, and Max Grunchik as the titular Rumple Stiltskin, who people might also recognize that name from Deep Space Nine, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, because he played Rom, Quark's brother on Deep Space Nine, which was interesting oh. to see him. Did, ah, you didn't know that, yeah, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the story follows the titular uh, Rumpelstiltskin, the evil, uh, I guess he's a fairy or he's a evil spirit like this, that has been imprisoned in a jade figurine uh, since the 15th century. And in modern day Los Angeles, uh, a recently widowed wife uh, buys it, like you know, finds the statue and buys it from this, uh, from the creepy, you know, creepy shopkeeper a la gremlins and then uh inadvertently releases it releases rumpelstiltskin who grants a wish and then tries and then the whole film follows him trying to get her baby so he can complete this ritual to free himself uh from this curse that's on him and it pretty much just follows that uh i thoroughly enjoyed this i enjoyed this one not to mention because i dug what max uh brought to the role um he did not try to copy what warwick uh, what uh, warwick davis was doing with leprechaun which i thoroughly appreciated he was like because you got warwick established that character this is kind of the same thing just a little bit different you know you got like this ultra powerful as a matter of fact i would actually have to say that this character is actually more powerful than lubden over in the leprechaun franchise but I really dug this. There, there were just it was all the little things, the attention to detail, some of the lines. I thought Max Grunchick like delivered his lines expertly. I fucking laughed out loud when he's in that when he's driving that eighteen wheeler, and he actually gets tricked and he goes over the cliff. And he's like, ah, fucketh me. <laughs> that, shit, that shit was fucking hilarious. I loved how he he brought. I love what he brought to it. The movie's just it was just more fun than I thought it was. To be perfectly honest, way better than it had any right to be. Okay, I wouldn't necessarily say that um, <laughs> on it, and purely purely because this movie came out in '95, and I don't remember this at all, like what whatsoever. Um, seeing this, so they could at first of all it took me by surprise, but it was just it was just ridiculous. And it was just <laughs> like I couldn't like at the very least with like Leprechaun. Like, Leprechaun is a fun movie, right? And Warwick Davis does an amazing job. And, you, of course, you have the young Jennifer Aniston in it. And, like, that was – it was a fun movie. And the thing about the Leprechaun movies is this. The Leprechauns aren't great movies. None of them are great movies. But some of them are more fun than others. And this, it tried to take – it felt like it was a copycat that tried to take that same formula. It was like, well, let's try to do it this. Cause I think Leprechaun came out in 91, 92. 
something like that. I think like it was that. 92. I think it was 92. Yeah, 92. So, so then it was like this one tried to copy that same formula, but it oh, just 93, missed 93. the mark. 93. Yeah, okay, so it even makes more sense. So yeah. Leprechaun came out in 93. Then you have Rumpelstiltskin come out in like 95. And he tried to copy that same formula, and he just missed the mark. Like he he Rumpelstiltskin wasn't somebody that was super like fun to watch and it was kind of like a jolly like a jolly good time i just i didn't i just felt dumb as, as a movie <laughs> and just like just like the, the, the one-liners he says were kind of dumb um they all kind of missed it was cringy in some points yeah like it was trying too hard yeah, i think that exactly. was i think that was the biggest thing was this film tried too hard whereas the first leprechaun felt more just natural before, like yeah, I would say yeah. Work. Before Leprechaun two, before they went into the sequel and the other ones, where they, where I, where I love that they gave they gave Warwick the the full reign to do what he wanted to. But in this particular way, but in the first one, there was a natural character development, and we got to like play into these things as Leprechaun finds himself in modern times. That kind of happens here, and yeah, I absolutely grant that that uh, Jones and that uh, Mark Jones and Joe Ruby definitely you know, definitely kind of like just revamped it. Cause there, there was a whole spate of nineties, you know, of like nineties fairy tale horror films, you know, yeah. Like the snow white seven doors with Sigourney Weaver. Unbelievable that she did that one. She did uh like, um, I can't remember. The, it was a snow white film. I, uh, I think it was snow white, like a tale of terror or some shit like that. Like she did a horror movie based on that was Sigourney Weaver played the evil queen in that one. There was a whole spate of nineties fantasy fairy tale style horror films that came out probably kicked off by the leprechaun uh by the leprechaun franchise and i get that it kind of like t- it took that i just i think it was because i really like max grodenchik as an actor i love him as you see how much talent he has on deep space nine playing characters playing monsters characters or characters that are underneath you know like a lot of makeup and a lot of latex and he kind of has that going on in this one as well and i just loved what he the little nuances he brought to it i didn't feel like he was even though the script copied leprechaun and the whole like the, like all of that, Max tried to bring something a little bit different and not copy what Warwick Davis was doing, even though a lot of the sight gags were pulled directly from uh, Leprechaun. Much and of the that stuff was, that happens that was, was the exact same. Like he didn't. I can tell that he was trying something different than Leprechaun, and it felt like the director was like, "Nope, go right back." You, and it's like, "What?" But I'm trying. Nope, nope. Leprechaun. Listen, Leprechaun came. It made money. Uh, and we're gonna follow this exact same formula. They're gonna release another Leprechaun soon. We're just going, and that's just kind of like the feeling as a guy's like, oh, this is just a, it's a and darker, you, less charismatic version of Leprechaun. Then you throw in, you know, the 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 time jump, almost like uh, like from Warlock. It's it's copies a lot of stuff from that yeah. time period that worked in their respective movies but then you put them all together in this with you know mediocre acting while yes it's impressive to act under that kind of you know being under all that makeup and do all it just like like eugene was saying the one-liners they fell flat it was almost it, it almost cringy at some points and not in like a bad movie kind of way like you're pushing you're really pushing for Something that's already been done, been done better, and was a lot more fun than this one. So yes, I agree with you, Eugene, on this one. It's not you can pull up turd polisher all you want, but you're not going to get too far with it before it's kind of like, eh, okay, before fine. There's no, you there's no more movie left. It's all right. It's all right. 
and 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 if you, I mean, anybody who's a, who's a an avid film lover is going to notice that there's. I mean, Jones even though there was there was a couple of cinematic shots when he's driving with, with the eighteen wheeler that he he took those directly from Duel. I was like that cinematography, that shot is is taken directly from Duel. There was a lot of stuff. Is like, oh, that worked. Let's use that scene. We have an eighteen wheeler in it, so let's do that. Frame it like Spielberg did. There was a lot of stuff in there that was in the inspiration that other people had done and done for different films. And yeah, there wasn't a lot. There was virtually nothing that was original in it except for Max's performance, which I thought was decent. Even the character of even Tommy Blaze's character. Tommy Blaze's character was just a rip off of Andrew Dice Clay of his kind of you know antics that were that were hot in the nineties. Um, Kim Johnson Ulrich did her best, but you know that's just a two dimensional you know the mother figure trying to protect her kid. Nothing new there. Nothing really to sink her teeth into. Everybody's pretty much just, you know, doing what's been done before. The only person who was saddled with it, and he could have just sat on his laurels and been like, okay, I'll just play this way, you know, whatever. Instead, instead he tries to do something with it. I loved it that he brought that and tried his best to try and like, and I think that's the only reason that this film is enjoyable at all is because of Max, despite the limited amount of tools he was given, the limited script he was given. And yes, I agree with uh sarcasm burning straw was his kryptonite seriously he was like yeah there's there's some there's some goofy shit in there um but, you know, but hey you know i like what i like what they tried to do or i, I would like I, I like what max would max tried to do the one actor who was really trying to salvage the thing and do something fun with it and try to like you know but yeah for all intents and purposes the movie is not great you know but it did have some moments that made they had some moments that made me laugh i gotta give it credit for that i really do they needed to put Willem Dafoe especially in given, given, skin. Especially given that, that, that one of the co-writers, Joe mm-hmm. Ruby, was a co-creator of Scooby-Doo back in the 70s. Uh, <laughs> still, listen. Uh, okay. G- yeah, good for him. You know, Scooby-Doo is iconic and everything, but this it just missed the mark on it. Uh, yeah, were there one or two jokes that were kind of funny? I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll give it this. But it just, like, overall, it just... Is just trying too hard. Like a good a good art piece is something that just exists, and it justifies its own existence. Like it just exists to tell like this kind of a story or evoke this kind of emotion. And this doesn't fall into either one of those categories. Like if this film never existed, I wouldn't be missing it. <laughs> See, listen, I... <laughs> making a movie is like a fart. If you got to push, it's probably shit. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, yeah, okay. So I, I give it that. I give it that. Uh, I, I love monster movies. I kind of dug this one. <laughs> Casey Cooper says Eugene's face is so pure. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Just, I, nope, I agree. Nope, I agree. Nope. I agree. The sad thing is, I agree with everything that Eugene is saying. Everything that Alex is saying on this one. All in all, it is a Leprechaun rip. Rep, Lep, Leprechaun came out two years before this one. It was, yeah, it was just like you know, you get a, you get the slasher that sets the tone, and then you get a spate of slashers that follow suit. You get the the fairy tale horror film that sets the tone, and a spate of copycats that are just trying to cash in on the that kind of like that kind of like novel appeal, that novel box office appeal. That unfortunately, this one didn't do well at all. I think it only did against a three million dollar budget, did like three hundred thousand dollars. So mm. before, you know, no, rightfully was, so, right? And it wasn't released on DVD until two thousand four. So it took a while uh, to get it out there, but it is out there. You know, you can watch it. And if, I would say, I will say I'll relegate this. If you're a fan of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, if you are Star Trek Deep Space Nine and you like Max Grodinchik's performance as Rom in that show, and you see like the top-notch talent that he is, to get an opportunity to go back and kind of see this one 
to kind of check this out and see what he was doing, uh, see what he did when he was playing this monster. I think it's enjoyable, enjoyable for that, especially when he talks and when he gets, because it was interesting is that he kind of like in those moments when he's just delivering lines, he has a kind of accent. So he has kind of like a natural accent, but when he gets really aggravated, when he gets like loud and everything and his, and his volume goes up, you hear the voice of Rom. Which I thought was fucking hilarious. It's like, it's like, what I say? It was like, that's the voice you use over there, but not the voice you use here, which I thought was funny as hell. But nonetheless, I I enjoyed it for his performance alone. It's the one saving grace this movie has got. And because he tried to do it differently than Warwick Davis was doing it uh with his. So only thing I can uh, really Or, or you can just watch Deep Space Nine. Or you can watch Deep Space Nine. I people like the actor. I'm a fan of the actor. I, and I'm a fan of Deep Space Nine. I love Star Trek. There you go. And you didn't even yeah. know it was Max Grodin-Chick. So now you have a better level of appreciation for this movie. No, I don't. I'm just yes, going to watch Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes sometimes everybody needs, a, everybody needs a paycheck. Casey Cooper says, sometimes character development is interesting, such as uh, Data, such as Brent Spiner, was in Night Court. This is true. Brent Spiner was on Night Court. And Night Court was a good show. And I it was an excellent show. It absolutely was. All right. So, yeah, I, there's not much that we could say about, about Rebels. Sorry, I almost said Leprechaun. <laughs> there's not much that See, we could say about we Rebels. We would rather be talking mm-hmm. about Leprechaun in this movie. That's true. That's true. Um, but, uh, well, it, it's, and it's interesting because, you know, the, the, the effects in it were, were oh, so this is what's so weird. is Because Kevin Yeager, we talked about Kevin Yeager before. Kevin Yeager did the special effects. Uh, did the did the Rumpelstiltskin special effects in this one, and he also did the special effects in you know uh, in a Friday or Nightmare uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, Freddy's Revenge. Um, that one, I mean, those those effects were fantastic. What Kevin Yeager pulled off in this one, I'm thinking was that Kevin Yeager was trying to do something interesting and just didn't have the budget to kind of like really kind of explore what he could have done with this character, which is why a lot of stuff is fairly limited. So I think that was one of the big problems was the lack of money they had, even though they say $3 million, but they're shooting on location all over, all over Los Angeles. They're doing a lot of like set destruction, not to mention they go up into the fucking Hills and they, it's expensive to shoot out there. A lot of permits involved and they, not to mention the huge, they didn't need the 18 wheeler sequence. They really didn't. I know they were trying to ramp that up. There's a lot of things I think that they did that they didn't need to do. The uh, the motorcycle stuff was fine. That was great. But the whole 18-wheeler sequence, we didn't need that. There could have been something else done that was a lot cheaper in order to give. I would In a movie like this, which was important, the difference between Leprechaun and Rumpelstiltskin is with Leprechaun, all the, the lion's share of the money went into Warwick Davis to establish the character, establish the look, establish the effects, you know, and make him fucking scary. That's the whole point because it's a monster movie. Your money needs to go into your monster. And then, so once you've got that and you can accomplish what you want in conveying your monster correctly, then everybody else gets their stuff, which is why it's really easy to do that when your filming set is a fucking abandoned farm. That's easy. One location. We're not going anywhere else. Now you can put all your money into your fucking thing. The thing is, and this is coming from a lot of producers and other people like in indie stuff that I've worked with is this. Um, We talk all the time on the show about allocation of your resources, allocation of funds. What are you going to put your money into? And the thing is, is this producers love to talk up the big stuff. 
we're going to shut down a road. We're going to get this 18-wheeler sequence. We're going to do this and this, and we're going to have the special and this and this and all the stuff, kind of stuff they're excited about. But things they aren't excited about are things like, for example, like, hey, resources for crew. Uh, resources for like resources for food, resources for this, resources for that. That's not the, that's the non flashy stuff right. that producers will throw money at an 18 wheeler sequence and then forget to have to pay the crew. Stuff right. like that happens because paying crew isn't like that isn't very flashy. So when you have stuff, they honestly, they probably wrote the sequence and they're like, okay, we're going to have this big 18-wheeler stunt and we're going to do this and this and this. Well, obviously, that money has to come from somewhere. If you invest in, if you have limited funds and you invest in one thing, that means that money is coming from somewhere else. And unfortunately, that's going to be in other areas of the film. With Leprechaun, you had a farm. And it was nice. You had the farm. I don't know how long it took to shoot Leprechaun, but you had this farm. Get a bunch of no-names, because Jennifer Aniston was still a no-name at the time. Mm-hmm. And you can invest in Warwick Davis, who was already established. So you can get a good established actor to play your primarily takes place in this house. And then you can let Warwick Davis do his thing. Whereas with this, they allocated the funds in the wrong areas. Right. They allocated it in the 18 wheeler. They allocated it in some effects here and there. Um, like, and then also they were big on stunts. Him jumping right, yeah. to the glass. He falls on the car. He gets hit by this. He gets hit by that. He gets run over. He gets he, all these other stunts. Whereas in Leprechaun, he didn't really have that many stunts. To uh, didn't need didn't need to. He he didn't he didn't really need any. Um. And that was it. So it just showcases you how much better Leprechaun is. Right. Just just smarter filmmaking all in all. Definitely. It, just, it is. Well, the uh the thing that I want to ask, the thing that I want to ask the audience. Now, this now I'm gonna I'm gonna set a challenge. I'm gonna set a little bit of a challenge. Because I want to ask the audience. Okay, and I know everybody loves Warwick Davis, is loved in the Leprechaun. Everybody loves you know, a lot of people love the Leprechaun franchise, and there's not a lot of love for Rumple Stiltskin. I get that. But I want to set something forward to the audience. As think of it, think of this like as like horror nerds. Who would win in a fight, Leprechaun versus Rumpelstiltskin, in this movie? Okay, you can use like you know what was done in the first film because it was you know like Rumpelstiltskin only got one movie. Obviously, was you know instead of for CEO, kind of like you know the ambiguous ending where the the fucking rock is found three years later. Um, Because I'm going to throw it in a lake, and that's fucking smart. But. but nonetheless, I'm kind of curious who you would think would win in a fight because I was watching this and judging by what I saw, this fucker is more powerful than than loved in the Leprechaun. Just on, just on, just they both can't be killed by physical by by normal means. They each only have one weakness, and they both have mad. They both have magical capability. Okay, one thing you never saw Le- Leprechaun do is he never ripped his he- ripped his own head off so that he could attack someone who was taller than him. I gotta give credit for that shit. That shit was actually kind of funny. It was like, let me make it easier for you. Ha! And in my head, it was like, that's pretty fucked up. So I gotta, I gotta, I'm just curious. So you know, throw it out there. Let us know in the comments below or weekendhorrorgmail.com who you would think. Really think about it. Who you would think, Leprechaun versus Rumpelstiltskin, who would win in that fight? Because uh, uh, I'm kind of curious. 
because I might because I'm actually with Rumpelstiltskin on that one. I think he would take it. I would. All right. I see Eugene is so done with this fucking movie. Yeah, I'm ready to move on. (laughs) All right. Uh, Eugene, what do we got next? What do we got our last one tonight? All right. The last one, we got a fun one. Yes. And that is The Dead Next Door, released November 25th, 1989. Roll it. That is The Dead Next Door, directed by J.R. Bookwalter, starring Bruce Campbell, Pete Ferry, Brogdan Perrick, Michael Grossi, and Phil Critchfield. And basically, in a nutshell, you have a group of zombies and a group of cultists who are trying to end the human race. I mean, it's pretty pretty straightforward. And shit gets real. Yes. Yes, it absolutely does. (laughs) I know you were looking forward to saying that one line about one movie tonight. (laughs) About about one. So the thing about this movie is this. This is going to be... It's a niche audience. And I will be... Hands down... There are some zombie movies out there that have like mass that have like mass appeal. We talked about like earlier Dawn of the Dead and some others. They have mass appeal. This is a type of film if you love bad movies and you love the zombie genre, you will like it. If you don't like those two things, then honestly, you probably won't. Because I can understand how some people cannot like this movie because it's not. It's not shot well by any particular means <laughs> for a film that was made in 1989. It looks like it was made in 1970. <laughs> um, I mean, really, if you look at Texas, original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was shot better than this film. Um, and that was a super low budget. And but if you do like those, if you enjoy bad movies and movies that you can just kind of turn your brain off and just have fun for the sake of having fun maybe pop some popcorn and watch their friends and make fun of it the entire time then you'll probably enjoy this film this this movie this movie did two things really really good it knew what it was and like we were just talking about it allocated its resources properly and so you, you get this film that you know it knows it's it's bad movie and it's JL, I started watching this. I was like, this is fucking amazing because they dropped. I know, like, right? There's there's Romero. Like the character names are hilarious. You've got like Romero and Raimi. Carpenter. Um, Sidney, Carpenter, Campbell. <laughs> like, uh, the crazy Reverend cult leader's name is Reverend Jones. And it's like. Motherfucker. I mean, it's like, they, it's like they took Jim Jones. It's like Jim Jones and Kim Jong-il had a fucking love child. Because that scene where they introduced him. And he's got those big ass fucking like you know like old man shades on, and he's standing in front of like the 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 uh, the minimalist background like at the at the desk and everything. It's like, oh come on, really? It's like Kim Jong Il meets Jim Jones. That's what you're going with. It's like, and then he's walking around at night with those fucking shades on. I'm like, this is fucking brilliant. Oh, it's so great. God, and that scene because they did. There was a lot of really good practical effects in this movie it was a lot of them were really good you know you clearly they spent the money and time and doing this but then there's like some scenes where somebody gets killed and it like you know it, it's just a cgi like blood splatter on the screen you know it's like, or i mean i'm sorry there's, very there's obviously a, there's, a, there's there's that one moment when at the very opening of the movie when you're, they're showing the zombie apocalypse and like that one person gets grabbed it's like oh like bites him 
And it was just you know, like, this goes to show just how bad it was. Cause one person gets bit and they're full framed in the camera. They're like right, right there. And the zombie comes up and bites him in the back of the neck. And then all of a sudden you can see the blood spray come yeah. from off camera and hit the wall behind him. Like, why is that? There? <laughs> but I mean, I get what they were trying to do. The story behind this is fucking fascinating. That's what, this is what's great about it is because J.R. Bookwalter kicked off his career when he was 19 years old. And when he directed this movie, when he wrote, direct, wrote and directed this film, he was 19. And mm. he, sh he shot this bad boy on Super 8, which is why it looks the way it does. Thankfully, the way, okay, so it looks cl clean is because there was, a, there was a 2K restoration done several years ago that was kickstarted. So they kickstarted a 2K restoration of the film, which is why we get the, the more polished version we have now, but the original was solely on Super 8. So you can imagine what that looked like at the time. Now, if you'll notice, I know a lot of people like probably uh, saw this. There's a lot of cinematography choices that are in this that are very, very familiar. And the reason for this is because the movie was executive produced by Sam Raimi. So like, like the scene in the very opening scene when he's boarding up the door and it's like, bam, those, those quick deals, like right with the cameras, like boom, boom, that's pure Ramy. That's, that's Ramy choice right there. It's like, that's exactly the stuff he does all the time. And Bruce Campbell acted as the, he supervised the post-production sound is, is, was uh, Bruce Campbell's work on this one. And he's also credited as providing voices over the telephone. So both the characters of, of Carpenter and Ramy when they're on the phone having conversation, that voice on the other end is like, Ramey, what are you doing right now? The voice you're hearing, that's Bruce Campbell. And likely what happened was, as a as post-production on sound was, they probably either didn't have someone record the lines on the other end, or they did and they came out bad. And Bruce had to quickly do the ADR real quick to throw those in so they can do it, which is why he's credited as those two, as those two voices in that small role. Otherwise, Honestly, it's yeah. they probably did it because it's cheaper. It may have been, you, yeah. You, you, have, you have such a low budget, and if you have Bruce Campbell already doing your post sound, what does it take for him to knock out the phone conversations real quick? He's already there in the studio doing stuff. It's a lot cheaper than hiring a completely different person to come in and do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was uh, he was the the voice on the phone of Commander Carpenter and as Doctor Ramy as well. So uh, you know, even though those actors are played by even though those are played by other actors when you see them on screen. Um, the uh, let me see, <clears throat> what was it? Uh, Ramy served executive producer on the film, and he and he worked under the pseudonym the Master Cylinder, which is why, which is why you don't see his name in the credits. And he used a portion of his payment from Evil Dead Two uh on this so i thought that was really really cool that they brought those in so but i thought what was really neat that they shot this film for one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars back in 1989 that was a lot of money back then and they man he managed to pull the any that that's what this movie cost now i thought what was really really fascinating is that in 1980 think of this the kid is 19 years old it's 1989 and he actually got like what you would essentially call like zombie walk footage like of zombies hanging on the gate outside the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Because he shot this on location in Washington, D.C. and in Akron, Ohio. Yeah, because you can see the White House in the background. So he was able to organize a helicopter shot of the zombies spread, like, like running all over that big open grassy area where it's like Akron. You see the big Akron letters? That, 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 he organized that whole thing with those zombies running across that open area in, the, in, uh, in Akron, Ohio. And he actually organized zombies walking around the Washington Monument 
near the reflecting pool and like climbing the gate, climbing the fence of the White House, which I thought was really fucking cool for having for being able to pull that off at 19 years old that he managed to secure that. Now, in 1989, it was a different time. Obviously, security was a little bit laxer than it is today. So maybe permits were easier to come by. He's like, hey, we want to shoot a movie using, you know, have zombies climb on the fence. Okay, just make sure they don't jump over on the lawn. It's like, okay, great. So, you know. Honestly, with a budget like this, and I don't know the cost it would take to film in front of the White House, but I figured it's something very expensive. It would not surprise me if it was pure guerrilla style. Oh, they just like, fucking did it. Just, <laughs> I mean, because you're, you're keep in mind, it is a different time period, and it's like a you get a couple because there's some pretty tight shots, and it's like you get a couple of them. It's like, okay, all right, you can kind of pre zombie them up, and you can kind of throw a coat over them real quick, and then it's just like a and a super eight camera, something handheld portable that you just flip a switch and turn on real quick, right? Um, because it's just a just pure film camera, and so it's just. And he probably went, got out of the fence real quick, and he's just like, all right, let's go. And then run, was, run, run. Off. Yeah. And then Secret run, Service run, is coming. Away. Yeah. <laughs> I I dug this one. You know, the fact that it was shot that he managed to pull this off, shot it completely on Super 8. But I think the only reason this film succeeds, obviously, is because of the influence of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. That they and and I think uh I think uh their their company that they formed with Rob Tapper was an influence behind uh, getting this movie financed was part of that whole thing. So they made, I mean, come on, 19 years old, you're pulling off helicopter, helicopter shots, massive giants. This is an epic scale, essentially an epic scale home movie is basically what this is. And he managed to like, you know, pull off some of the epic shit that he did. I could see like, you know, the backwoods stuff out there in the middle of nowhere, use some abandoned, you know, like get access to, to some abandoned properties, shoot people and, you know, make up in the dark. That's fine. That's great. But the fact that he pulled off some of the opening shit that he did is pretty goddamn phenomenal, especially I mean, at that probably, age. They probably saw something that uh, JR had that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell had in themselves because it's, that's how Eve first Evil Dead was. Evil Dead was just finding a random house in the woods and we're just going to make a movie. And so now it's okay. They're already kind of established a name for yourselves. And uh, there are a lot of filmmakers out there that want to help upcoming filmmakers. There, there are. And right. one of the things that's great about the filmmaking community is that it's how welcoming it is and how people will do favors. and people want to help because you see them going through the same thing you're 19 years old and you're trying to do your own full-length feature film in 1989 or however 88 or however long it took him to film it this was a kid that was just i'm just gonna do this well he shot it over the course of four years so yeah so over the course of full four years and it's like i'm going to do this I'm going to make this film. I only got a super eight camera and I got some blood effects and I'm going to make a movie. That's hard to say in the 1980s. It's hard to do today with digital cameras. Harder back then. Yeah. So I give them props. I, I really do. I give them props. You want a helicopter shot? And I don't know, maybe he booked out a helicopter tour and he's like, hey, can you kind of steer over here real quick? And then hangs the camera out the window real quick <laughs> as he's like, times the zombies running. 
um, we, whatever it took to get the shot. So I, I, I applaud him for that. Yeah, for a first timer, it's pretty impressive. Um, I'm glad, and I'm glad that the two of you enjoyed it because this one obviously is very, it's very niche. There's, I mean, there's a lot of gore effects, um, a lot of, and just you know, so, some some stuff just is not good, is not bad. Some of it I thought was pretty decent. There were some good moments in it. I love that whole sequence when you know, uh, in the farmhouse that was really, really, it was really inspired. There was one really fantastic shot he got when the zombie, when the puppet zombie is it like grabs the rat and sticks the rat in his mouth to eat it. And then the rat crawls out of the side of his face. And yeah. it goes away. And he's like, I thought that was just, or when he bites his fun. fingers off and then they're coming out of his throat. Yes. <laughs> there were just some inspired fucking shots in this movie. I thought that were really, really good. I was like, it's neat. But I also noticed, and I'm, and I'm going to put it out there that, uh, a, that, um, AMC, the, the, that Darabont, uh, not, not Darabont, but, um, Fucking hell, Kirkman as it uh, the, the the mind behind basically uh, the uh, the effects of The Walking Dead and a lot of the, the sequences in The Walking Dead. Yeah, it's like Richard yeah. Kirkland or something like that. Yeah, it's like I, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw some things in this that Walking Dead mirrored. Now, uh, some of those shots from the front of the actor and then the zombie coming up from behind. There were some choices. Like, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that that were that basically that basically you know the people behind Walking Dead. I think that this film is a lot more influential than a lot of than than some people. Some like, I think that the really hardcore horror fans or the the hardcore Raimi and Campbell fans who really dig kind of zombie shit like this would really would yeah would would kind of see these things. But I saw a lot of parallels. And it's only because I I, I know Walking Dead so well. I was like there was a lot of of moments, cin- like cinematography, like like moments where they framed a particular shot or framed a particular action. That, that I think inspired very like many scenes over in Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, and in in that franchise. I think that this film has been uh, just you know probably because it's the, the I think it's regarded as the most expensive film ever shot on Super Eight. So given that, I think a lot of filmmakers would look at would look at what Bookwalter did to be like, oh, that's a fantastic shot what they did there. If only it like like it looked better or the lighting was better or whatever. So we can do that again, but let's do it like really fucking sick with a really solid budget shot and get those and get, you know, pull those off. I thought that this, I think this film is, uh, after having watched it is, is a real inspiration. I even think that, um, Romero took something from this with, uh, with, um, day of the dead. I think there was, there's some, there's some stuff there as well. So I think book Walter inadvertently at the age of 19, wound up creating uh, a more like one of the most influential uh, low budget indie horror, like indie zombie films out there back in the late nineties that kind of inspired everybody going forward. Cause you can see a lot of connective tissue between this and the, the shit that we have today. Well, cause you, you're getting fresh eyes. This is really the first time you're getting fresh eyes on the zombie genre. Not somebody who's been doing it since the late sixties and seventies. So you're, this is the next generation that's coming up and to comment with a uh, sarcasm. Cause you read somewhere that it had an estimated budget of 125,000. Mm-hmm. Whenever it comes with budgeting of films, it's a misnomer. So you'll hear, Oh, this was like $6 million. And a lot of people think of it as that someone wrote a $125,000 check and gave it to this kid. And this kid made this movie. A lot of times what happens is you have your budget. And then you have what's called in cash. Your budget and in cash are two different numbers. So, for example, if I work on a film for free, but 
it still has an expected value. So let's say I'm going to charge just that number out there, like five. I normally charge five hundred a day to work to do cinematography or film, but I do this film for free. So the in cash is zero, but the budget is five hundred times whatever many days of shooting it's going to be. And that's the same. So you get people as zombies and stuff like that that will come in and do stuff like that for free. It still has a value, and that value is still calculated in your overall budget. So it may say it costs $125,000 to make, but it could have actually cost $15,000 out of pocket. True. So and the same thing goes with, same thing goes with locations. If you shoot at a buddy's house, that still has an intrinsic value. That still has a, a value that you write down, but you get in cash for zero. So don't always go with what the estimated budget is for a film. And the reason why people <laughs> inflate budgets like this is because it's a lot more impressive to say, I shot a $125,000 film than it is to say, I shot a $5,000 film. It's kind of like Blair, kind of like Blair Witch Project, because if you look at what like what they actually shot, it was all handheld by the actors themselves with no external stuff. So, and they were basically running around in the woods. That's that. There's no special effects, no, and everything. All all the the supernatural stuff was all handmade. So there wasn't anything really extreme going on. It's pretty much just three cameras running around in the woods. Ostensibly, that movie is not expensive to shoot at all. What the bulk of that money was, uh, what, they, what they talked about, the director, the co-directors talked about, was that it was in post-production. But not even that. I mean, you're not going to spend forty thousand dollars in post-production on three cameras in the woods. It's just you know like that. But so that that number is obviously inflated a bit. What it went down, obviously, you know, because they, they they didn't have to uh, deal with permits. They were shooting on public land. They were out, you know, the areas that they were in. I think that the uh, the uh, the building that they shot in at the end, which made for the end sequence, was actually a friend of theirs who actually uh, knew the person who owned the property. They were able to shoot there for free. But it it all has intrinsic values to it. It's like so, like in this one, if you happen to know a guy who owns a helicopter and maybe does helicopter tours, okay, or is friends with that person, maybe you can say, hey, can we? Can you take us up one time so we can shoot this one shot? Brrr, do kind of like this flyby over this and then land, and then we'll credit you and your company in the credits, and you'll get that kind of notoriety. Could you Could you swing that and be like, sure, why not? I got nothing better to do that day. Let's do it. Boom. Take up the helicopter for a shot, bring it back down, then you get the free advertising, and then you could write off what the cost of that tour would have been, the cost, you know, all that stuff all goes into the budget. Yeah, so that that's, that's something in terms of budgeting, how they do for films. So just to give you, so just keep an idea that that number isn't always exactly what they actually paid for the film. Right. I just noticed Raven Darkstar brought that exact same thing. He could have had a family friend with a, with a helicopter. Totally true. Yeah, and maybe I just bought fuel. Right. And I like what that's Operation it. Free World said. Imagine trying to film guerrilla style today. A whole crew, three 600Ds, a dolly, a 15-inch monitor, maybe a drone or two. They'd catch you before you unloaded. <laughs> this is true. I still don't know. I still don't fucking know how um, uh, in uh, that that one that one trauma film, which which one fucking was it, where the dude gets eaten by the escalator. I I still don't know how they got away with that scene because that scene was shot guerrilla style, where a three hundred or like a three hundred pound man is eaten by an escalator. <laughs> and the blood, the gore, the nastiness, but they did, they shot there. They literally like waited and then went in, shot the scene, made a giant fucking mess and then ran the fuck away. So I don't know how <laughs> they managed to pull it off with no permits. Um, but yeah, it's hardcore. You get some really, really fun shit. Like, like in Maniac, 
the whole sequence and Tom Savini when uh, Tom Savini jumps up on the fucking car and shoots through the uh, the uh, windshield and kills the boyfriend and that that whole sequence real 12 gauge it was Tom Savini's shotgun that he pulled out of the back of his van it's like because they didn't have the permit they was like we want to do the shot it's like okay this is how we're going to do it he set it all up get the thing set get rolling and we're going to run then he jumps up and he runs up and he goes boom and then bam like fires that shotgun through the fucking windshield and then everybody just scatters they like like literally a, they held cut and a car rolled by and threw the shotgun in the car the car drove off everybody jumped up and everybody just scattered and then the cops showed up like 15 minutes later like someone reported them so sometimes it gets yeah. kind of wild yeah that i mean that is in terminator the first one almost all of that is guerrilla style they would basically nice. set up film what they needed real quick and then just hop in the car and just drove off and which which is awesome because it made that film seem like a bigger budget than what it actually was because they invested their money on the stop motion with the futuristic scenes to showcase a budget so him going walking through hallways him walking down the street him exactly he punched out the window of the car that's just a random car also, have you ever tried yeah. to punch out a window of a car? Yeah. That's <laughs> it's not easy. Or when Arnold punched out a car window that the production didn't own. So yeah. I guess we're covering, we're covering that cost. Or or when, uh, what was it? Fucking, um, when fucking uh, Kurt Russell destroyed that guitar in Hateful Eight. And that guitar yeah. was a legitimate antique, was like a, like a legitimate 1800s antique. And he fucking annihilated right there on screen. And everybody's like... What the Ooh. fuck? It's like what? You didn't hear about this? <laughs> no, no. I'm just picturing the I'm picturing the crew on set. Like, like the, yeah. whoever's in charge, like the prop master is like, oh. If you go back and watch that scene, watch the scene in Hateful Eight. Kurt Russell grabs that guitar from from uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, and he yeah. fucking smashes the shit out of it. Hurry, because Jennifer knew what the guitar was. Okay, like the, virtually everybody. Did. Kurt didn't. Kurt did not know what that guitar was. He, you know, he did, for him it's just another prop because he's about to destroy it. He grabbed that guitar and he smashed legit. And Jennifer Jason Lee's reaction is is genuine, which is like that was her like, oh my god, you just destroyed like a fucking like a damn near priceless antique. What the fuck? Like, and he just went down and it was like, and then it was like cut. It's like we're good. It's like what? What are everybody freaking out about? Yeah, that guitar belonged to a museum, and you just it was like oops. No. Finally, that production insurance claim, like, yeah, we owe a museum like, um, like hundred a hundred thousand dollars for this. Oh, Sherry tells us there's a forty thousand dollar guitar. Yeah, a forty. Yeah, yeah. that's why you have production insurance. Yeah. Oops. Oh, and that it was that 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 trauma film was the was Terra Firmer. Yeah. Oh, okay, Terra Firmer. Yeah. Yeah, Terra Firmer. And it's funny because and it was, it was also because uh. You know, J.R. Bookwalter went on to work, uh, he's gone on to work extensively with, uh, with uh, Full Moon, with Charles Band's Full Moon Company. And he did, uh, I think he did, I wish his career had really kind of like taken off, like really taken off, like Ramey and Campbell, you know, the people that he was, uh, that he was, that he worked with in the past. He unfortunately has not had a lot of opportunity. I mean, he directed Witch House 2 and Witch House 3. And you know, like, I think his last movie was like, it was like fucking Mega Scorpions. So unfortunately, you know, he's just kind of like, you know, directing, kind of paying the bills and stuff. Uh, but he, I think he's got good instincts. I think he, you know he needs that opportunity. But uh, man, this would have been fucking cool as shit. Oh man, definitely, definitely uh, a, a little, a hidden little gem, a hidden gem, which I think everybody needs to see. 
Yeah, it was great. So I want to ask the audience, and I know we have Bruce Campbell's voice um, in it. I want to ask the audience, what is your favorite Bruce Campbell film? He's done a lot, and it could simply be his voice. It could be a guest star. Of course, he can star in it. Um, or maybe even produce. He's produced some stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's done, done a ton. So um, what is your favorite Bruce Campbell film? Spider-Man 2, when he cock-blocked Tobey Maguire. <laughs> you were quick on that answer. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking about it. Spider-Man 2 was like, sorry, the show's already begun. It's like, but, but my girl is like, sorry. It's like it's Bruce Campbell, you know. Uh, but oh, uh, I, 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 there's a lot, there's a lot of fantastic stuff. That was, yeah, it was kind of a joke. Um, uh, Sir Cab says Bubba Hotep, fucking a. Bubba, Bubba Hotep, Hotep is good. Bubba Hotep was fantastic. Uh, Army of Darkness, Josh says Army of Darkness, that was great. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he was that dude. He was fucking amazing in that. The, 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 his he because he's got the character of Ash down, you know. And in that moment, his ability to explore that shit, when he finally gets out, I just fucking love that moment. Huh? <laughs> um, Ash vs. Evil Dead was fantastic. Maniac Cop. Yeah, good stuff. Of Evil course. Dead. Oh, Plothole says Evil Dead 2, hands down the correct answer. Absolutely. Oh, Escape from New York? I knew. He, I know he was the, the plastic surgeon fucker in that movie. That was a good movie. Well, I want to give some love for him. Fucking Burn Notice. His character of Sam Axe was fucking awesome. He I enjoyed Burn. I enjoyed Burn. I've only caught episodes here and there while I was airing on television, but I enjoyed every episode I saw. Yeah, Burn Notice was really good. Plus, it's Bruce Campbell, and he and uh, when the writer strike took place, when that show was going on, he actually I think it was it was writer strike or some strike going on, but he actually got his own Sam Axe movie, which was great. So he got to do a movie as the character Sam Axe, which I thought was really really good. He was the yeah definitely Strange Lex. He was the best part of Burn Notice. He absolutely was. But uh, definitely let us know in the comments below or weekendhorrorgmail.com what is the what is your favorite or what what do you think is the best Bruce Campbell film? Um, oh yes, oh yes, he was. Yeah, he was in Escape from L.A. He was the, if I remember correctly, like I said, he was the plastic surgeon dude who threatened to cut out uh, cut out Kurt Russell's uh, eye, go oh, cut out Snake Plissken's other eye. Um, it's been too long since I've seen Escape it. Escape from L.A., yes. Bruce Campbell was the Surgeon General. He was the Surgeon General in, uh, in Escape from L.A. All right. Well, it's that time. You know what time it is. It's, it's, it's Raven Darkstar's favorite time. What time is it, boys? It's trivia time. <laughs> oh, I know Raven loves that. Everybody loves trivia time. Yes, it is trivia time. So if you are, we got the live chat pulled up right here, and you are the first person to get this correct answer in the live chat, you will win a special item from the Weekend Horror Store. Some, anything from the line, not relegated to just season five stuff, but you will win a special item. So be the, get those Google fingers ready. Alex, you have got our trivia question tonight. Let them have it. All right, let's do it. Here we go. Nice trivia question. Where did Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi first meet? One more time. Where did Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi first meet? Very curious. First one to drop down in the live chat. There's some variations on this answer. Yeah, there's some variations on this answer we'll accept. So, yeah. 
Let's see. We Let's got a see. couple answers coming in right now. Tony James says Taco Bell. Uh, uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, Raven Dark says L.A. Nope, not L.A. Strange Like Seven Nights says The Adventures of Briscoe County. Nope, not Briscoe County Junior. Ivy Gentry says In College. Nope, not in college. Casey Cooper said School. I'll give you a close, but I need something a little bit more. Sherry Tilly says High School. Yes, I will. We will accept uh, High School. We were going to accept the name of the high school, high school, or even the class that they first met in. So, uh, yes, Sherry Tilly is correct. Congratulations, Sherry Tilly. And you won the last one last week as well. So let me get your name down. And uh, the answer is, yes, they, uh, that Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi first met at Wiley E. Groves High School because they both had the same radio speech class. That is where the two of them <laughs> first met. Radio speech class at Wiley E. Groves High School. So the rest uh, is fucking history. And the rest is history. Yeah, and, I mean, because I want to say the inspiration for Evil Dead was like they were on a hike back in like high school days or shortly after high school. And they came across that cabin that was just abandoned and it was missing a wall. And they're like, we should make a movie here. And that's it. I thought it was a, a fantastic story about that is that they found out when they when they got there and they were shooting out there, they got there. And they found out that local cattle from somebody's nearby property had been using had been basically there was a trail going through the cabin from the rear to the front that the cattle were regularly using as they were like grazing around the property and then they would come through so the whole place was filled with cow shit that had to be cleaned out first before they started <laughs> shooting there that was like because the cattle the cows had been using it uh using it as kind of like you know part of their uh, part of their trek so that was funny but yes wiley e groves high school Radio speech class is where uh, the legendary Bruce Campbell and Sam Raby first met. And as Alex said, the rest was history. So fantastic. Congratulations, Sherry Tilly. Well done. We're going to get that printed up and shipped to you ASAP. Well done. All right, Horror Fiends. I know we ran a bit over. We ran about half an hour over. But that is going to conclude this episode of the Week in Horror podcast. We want to thank you all so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, smash that like and subscribe button. And be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we look back at the inspired supernatural horror Dream Maniac, the Christmas horror comedy short Scary Little Fuckers, the Ride or Die horror The Man in the Trunk, and the feature-length VHS spinoff Siren. Be sure to check out Josh Olson's store at BadSamurai.Story. It is all the awesome artwork you see splattered all over our merchandise, which you can find over at Teespring. And for more from Week in Horror, check out all of the bloody links that are down in the description. You can follow us on the socials for the Daily Splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties, huge announcements, and all kinds of horror shenanigans. We shoot movies here too, so come and check it out. And you can support this show through channel memberships here on YouTube, Super Chats. Thank you to all the Super Chats tonight. We do appreciate that. PayPal, our PayPal link, or even through our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. $1 a month. What are you waiting for? Join us. As always, thank each and every single one of you for being the greatest audience a horror film podcast could possibly have. We love every one of you. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. I'm Alex. We will see each and every one of you next week. And as always, stay scared.